excitement. I lost him. There! Fasten your seatbelt. Total adventure. You guys are trouble! Now you've done it! Total experience. Get ready for the big surprise. You wouldn't hurt me. After all, we're married. Total Schwarzenegger. Consider that a divorce. Total recall. Rated R. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Paul Verhoeven's Total Recall was released in 1990 as one of the most expensive films ever made. A spectacular story of memory loss and Mars, it was a box office smash, cementing Arnold Schwarzenegger's status as one of the biggest movie stars in the world and Verhoeven's reputation as the master of satirical sci-fi. My name's John, and the guys wishing they had three hands are Matt. You think this is the real Quaid? It is. And Westy. Come on, Cohagen, you got what you want. Give these people air! It's 2084, and all the right movies are talking memory, mutants, and life on Mars. Open your mind. Open your mind. Open your mind. Hello and welcome to All the Right Movies, the greatest job in the solar system, occasionally. Mm. <laughs> And a podcast on classic and hit films. Yeah. Today's show, it's going to be a crazy one, surely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I said Verhoeven, if I said Arnold, if I said screw you, <laughs> it can only be one film. And I'm not talking showgirls, more's the pity. No. <laughs> it's the sci-fi extravaganza that is Total Recall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Long time coming. Yeah. The Godfather Part 2, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Total Recall. The Holy Trinity. <laughs> exactly. Makes <laughs> complete sense. <laughs> Before we lose our minds, though, or maybe afterwards, we're talking about Patreon once again. If you like what we do on this, our classic podcast, and would like us to keep on keeping on with it, you can help support that by becoming an All the Right Movies Patreon. Patrons get access to our bonus podcast episode called Double Feature and access to our whole archive of bonus episodes and classic episodes like this one. The archive's huge now and we have a load of other classic films covered in there. If Paul Verhoeven's your kind of guy, then you should listen to our episode on Robocop yeah. and get therapy, probably. <laughs> <laughs> For Arnold, see Terminator 2. Sharon Stone, we have Casino, mm -hmm. loads of other episodes as well. Yeah, yeah there are. Almost too many to, to list, yeah. let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> An opportunity even recall couldn't make you forget about, surely. <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs> so to find out more and sign up, please visit patreon.com forward slash all the right movies. Yeah. Or if you're an Apple Podcasts user, you can subscribe directly on there now too. Just right. look for the subscribe button for all those benefits and more. Nice. Yep. So remember all that. Wholesale, if you can. Oh, uh, nice. What a dick. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, total recall. Yeah. So why are we talking about this one, Westy? 
I've absolutely no idea. I've, <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue. I haven't changed my notes. I mean, Amadeus is a masterpiece. What a, what a great film. I can't wait to talk about that. Oh, Last of the Mohicans, one of my very favourites. But no, no, Total Recall. Stomped through it. And let's be honest, it really is a very fond film for me. One I enjoyed when I was a kid and one that I really enjoy now. And one, then when I started doing research on it for this, realised how important it is in the whole landscape of action cinema and how important it was at the time. One of the most expensive films ever made. Some groundbreaking special effects, some bonkers behind-the-scenes stories, yeah. some bonkers stuff actually on the screen as well, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. So, yeah, I'm very, very excited about this one. I know you are. I don't know if Matt is, but let's find <laughs> <Yeah>. out. <laughs> <laughs> I've got very distinct memories of being about 11 or 12 and thinking Total Recall was the greatest film ever made. <laughs> 11 or 12? <laughs> wow. 41, 42. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that alone is a reason to talk about this, but there's lots of other reasons as well. Arnold is one of them. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Paul Verhoeven, one of his most popular films. Yeah. Yep. A Philip K. Dick adaptation. I'm yep. a fan of his, and I've read a lot of his stuff, including the short story this film is based on. Mm-hmm. And a great reason to talk about Total Recall is that it's absolutely mental. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. with a making of story to match yeah. and it has one of the greatest commentary tracks ever recorded from Verhoeven and Arnold yeah, so right. do yourself a favour listen to this podcast watch that commentary and home in time for conflicts yeah definitely <laughs> it's hilarious <laughs> and Matt other than having five kids to feed yep. why are you talking about Total Recall what was it four can never remember three hands four kids <laughs> 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 well, I hadn't watched this for about 30 years, so this one wow. really was like a real voyage to discovery for me. Like, the only thing I could go off is what I see in memes or GIFs or quotes. So the whole film, then? Yep. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's it. By the end, I still don't really know what it was about. And I just think, you know, for film famous for having three tits in it, makes sense out of three equivalent, doesn't it? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so Total Recall was produced by Corolco Pictures, distributed by TriStar Pictures, and released on June the 1st, 1990. Filmed in Mexico and Nevada, it was directed by Paul Verhoeven, written by Ronald Shusser, Dan O'Bannon, and Gary Gold, and it stars Arnold Schwarzenegger as Douglas Quaid, Sharon Stone as Laurie, Michael Ironside as Richter, Richard Tocorton as Melina, and Ronnie Cox as Cohagen. John, I've never heard you talk so fast at the start of a podcast <laughs> about any film ever. <laughs> Dying to get into this one. Let's go then. Yeah, well, we are talking the beginning of Total Recall. Recall, recall, recall. This music, the Corolco logo, Schwarzenegger, Verhoeven. Even before the credits are done, the bar's set high for crazy. And Total Recall dives in head first. It does. Yeah. We're going to be talking about Arnold being attacked by everyone he meets for reasons that don't ever really make sense. Nope. But before we do, we're getting into the setup. Mm-hmm. We are. So after opening on Mars, we're thrown back to Earth with a bump as we meet our main characters. In the opening of Total Recall, we meet Arnold, his wife Laurie, and see Mars-mad Arnold visit Recall for a trip of a lifetime memory implant, only to find his covers being blown. Yeah. Yeah. How are the opening scenes here, Matt? Well, they're definitely opening scenes, put it that way. Um, <laughs> like, it, it's two halves, I think. Like, it's tried and tested, the opening scene, it's a dream, turns into a nightmare, the person sits bolt upright in bed. Tried and tested, bit of a cliche, but I like it. It gets you into the film well. 
And I do like this first glimpse of Moss with our red tint. And for Hoven, he has the sense not to linger on that shot of the bulging eyes for too long. Um, <laughs> yeah. A lesson I wish he'd learned for later in the film. But then when you cut from that and you get Doug and Laurie in bed, I feel really queasy watching this. I don't like seeing old Schwarzenegger being sexual. It's it's not in his wheelhouse trying to be like coy and seductive and playful. Ugh. It's like watching a Toblerone melt, isn't it? It is, it is. He's just this huge slab of a man and I just think he's going to crush it. He's going to break him in two. I'm really uncomfortable watching this. So when it cuts from that to the breakfast scene, I'm just so relieved because like that bit I do not like. And, yeah. you know, there's some good stuff in the breakfast scene when she says from no wonder you have a nightmares. You're always watching the news. That's an evergreen theme. I like that. And yeah. I like how it switches from him watching the news to that ambient video because I think this is the first few hints of Laurie's true nature trying to distract mm-hmm. Doug from thinking about talking about Mars. So, yeah, I think it sets up nicely. But when Doug leaves and he says, I want to be somebody... I think that line would just hit a bit better if it wasn't Arnold looking like Arnold. Like, you are definitely somebody. Filthy dreams for Arnold at the start. Randy Quaid, never mind Doug Quaid. (laughs) (laughs) I'll hit the opening scene on Mars. It sets up that Mars is going to be a key part of the plot and sets up the outrageous ending with Arnold's Mm. bulging eyes and lets us know there's going to be a lot of (laughs) from Arnold in this one. There's a lot of that, yeah. A good intro to Sharon Stone is Laurie too. She's immediately charismatic. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. scene sets up the recurring theme of Stone constantly acting Arnold off the screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes, it does. Effective opening, though, that sets the scene funny, outrageous, and I think pulls you in pretty well. Yeah. It does pull you in really well. It does as well kind of highlights her paranoia with talking about who's the brunette you've been dreaming about. And she mm-hmm. takes that really seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And you as an audience kind of take that seriously and think, well, why is she bothered about his dream? Mm-hmm. So it sets up, is it a dream? Is it reality? You're confused. She's confused. Let's get more confused. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's going to happen for sure. I don't know if Hoven said he actually wanted Stone to show more skin in the bedroom scene. Paul being Paul, right. obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> got absolutely fine with this. He was happy to get naked, but she did refuse to. And Hoven had to settle on shooting the scene as we get it. But he said he did get his own back when he was shooting Basic Instinct later on with her. He certainly did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said that on the commentary track I was talking about. Oh, okay. Also... Arnold says this is one of his favourite scenes in the movie for no reason other than he's in bed with Sharon Stone, which is outrageous. <laughs> I appreciate the honesty, though. Oh, he's honest. Yeah. Standout for me with the opening is the introduction to Recall, him going in there. Oh, yeah. Seeing how that was all set up, how sleazy the salesmen mm. are. It's really Verhoeven, really reminds me of Robocop, yeah. just the yeah. whole setup of it. I just love the way that he's got that machine that looks like what McLean types in in Nakatomi at the start of Die Hard. Yeah, to find Holly's name. Similar. And yeah. then the guy's actually called McLean, which is really great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, how thick do you want to lay this? Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> Schwarzenegger's delivery of the line Go on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the most unbelievable delivery I think I've ever heard (laughs) are you excited about that or not just go on it's like is that the best take you got of that line (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's fantastic and then it goes in and it's just these the joy on his face as he's kind of going into the machine and you think he's gonna get it and then when it all goes tits up and it all goes wrong you think oh hold on a second this is a Paul Verhoeven Mm. film right this makes perfect sense (laughs) we haven't implanted it yet Right, now I'm on the ride. Plug yourself in. This is where Philip K. Dick's kind of coming into the whole story. And yeah, let's see how it unravels. So it's a really great scene that's at once what you'd expect and then totally spins itself on its head. Great stuff. Yeah, something the film does well, something that Philip K. Dick always does really well, is depicting the changes in society through technology. 
Yeah. Mm. Here we know it's a very capitalist society, which is classic here, Dick. We see that in the scene on the subway where there's screens everywhere showing mm-hmm. the recall advert. Arnold and Laurie's home has what in 1990 would have been a huge TV. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. both those things are pretty much how the Western world is now. Mm-hmm. And the part where we see Laurie practicing her tennis serve with a hologram teacher. Yeah. The hologram is Linda Howell, who was a real US tennis pro. All right. So nice touch. Yeah. And not a bad prediction of future technology. Except we still don't have Johnny Cabs, which is a shame. <laughs> Imagine getting one of them over from the big market. Yeah. We've kind of got Ubers where you can tell them not to come see anything. So I mean, it's, not, it's not that far removed from it. Yeah, true. And I do enjoy the scene later on when Arnold calls a Johnny Cab a dickhead. Yeah. And then <laughs> crashes into the wall and just blows up for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> Electric <Yeah>. car. <laughs> yeah, Explosion. Exactly. <laughs> We're talking about the Johnny Cab there. Robert Picardo does the voice of the Johnny Cab. Mm. And during film, and he said to Behoven that the Johnny Cab should ask Quaid, are you from out of town? Because of Arnold's accent. <laughs> so Verhoeven, I would imagine being the same, he's like, no, 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 we don't do that with Arnold. He's like, furious. And then Picardo's like, all right, all right. How I do it just as a joke, just for the crew. And Verhoeven, even worse, was like, oh, no, we do not do that with Arnold. Don't do it, yeah. Amazing. Arnold was calling all the shots. You definitely yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And Robert Picardo, you mentioned there, also uh-huh. the Doctor in Star Trek Voyager, obviously. Oh, right, I thought you meant Doctor Who. Mm. I was like, which one's he? <laughs> <laughs> they based the face of the Johnny Cab on him as well, not just his oh, voice. Oh, yeah. okay, right. right. Because Rob Bottin, who did the makeup effects, he had yeah. a mould of Picardo from a film called Explorers from 1985. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, so that's why he got the job as Johnny. Oh, right. Right, just really good at rolling his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the opening of Total Recall. Mm. So far, Total Bonkers, right? Total Bonkers, yep. yeah. Here we go. <laughs> After Arnold's disastrous visit to Recall, he finds himself a wanted man. Everyone's gunning for him, and we're looking at Arnold on the run now. In these scenes, we see Laurie reveal her true self and the introduction of her lover, Richter, to the party. Mm. Yeah. How are these scenes, Westy? I mean, these scenes is where it just starts going a little bit crazy. And you as an audience, you're just <laughs> thinking, what? What? Hold on a second. Just just stop. Just stop for a second. And you get that kind of feel when he goes back and it's there's the darkness. Mm. And it's just, oh, Laurie, run. And he's like, he's got his hands up and he's got the covered in blood, yeah. but he's got to get all the way home. And then there's nothing <laughs> removed nothing on the wall. Yeah. And the way he can't tell that's Laurie by his silhouette. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Fuck you know, so so blind. Like, oh, my wife would never think of killers. That's what every wife wants to do to the husband. Surely, <laughs> roundhouse to the head. Exactly, loads of times. And this is the start of what I would like to call the best film ever, where Arnold gets hit in the balls the most. I've ever yeah. seen anyone get hit in the balls. Any chance to get? I don't even think that's his chinos by the seventeenth time. I think it's just a, but it's when that light goes on, and we're supposed to be surprised. Like watching it now, mm. it's just the least surprising thing ever. Yeah. Laurie, yeah. why would you do this to me? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's madness, but it's really impressive from Stone here. You don't expect it whatsoever. Mm. A physicality is yeah. it matches Arnold. You just think, wow, yeah. Not only is he taken off guard, which I think kind of helps with it. That's why she's got the upper hand. But I think physically, it really, really works. It does. That's what I think Verhoeven does really, really well with female characters. He doesn't shy away from giving them that physical empowerment as well, which he does really, really well. Mm. 
I agree, yeah, especially in this. I think, yeah, Laurie going for Arnold, I think it's really good. When Arnold's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> Stone's excellent, again, as Laurie. The way she flips between the soft yeah. and hard sides of her personality is brilliant. Yeah, it's when they sat next to each other as well, like after the fight. I yeah. find that bit like really, like Ken Loach. <laughs> it's, it's, wow, this is like really art house all yeah. of a sudden. And today you see him in the background, he's like, clever girl. Yeah. Clever girl. Apparently as well, Arnold had to wear stump pads on his crotch because Sharon Stone kept kicking him in the balls for real. I'm not surprised. <laughs> but you can tell it's for real. Yeah, yeah. And I want to mention the scene before this as well, when Arnold's confronted by his construction site mate, Harry. The big oh, yeah. guy who drills the rocks, Barney Rubble, that guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to mention this because it's absolutely ridiculous. Again, Arnold's in there. What did I do? That's a great <laughs> meme now, that. What the fuck did I do wrong? <laughs> I mean, it's meant to be a moment in the film where Arnold's like secret agent instinct and training takes over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A film that does a scene like this really well is the Bourne identity yeah. in the park where Bourne takes out two cops and is like, how did I just do that? Yeah. yeah. Here, I don't get a sense at all that Arnold's like, what the hell? No. It's like he's just killing everyone because he's Arnold and that's yeah. what Arnold yeah. does. Slamming <laughs> yeah. two people together, yeah. slamming people in a wall. Breaking yeah. necks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could do that with anyone at any time. I know. Yeah. I mean, it is funny though. Arnold blows away a load of bad guys and the camera pans up and there's people standing there about 20 metres away <laughs> nobody heard a thing not a thing (laughs) so I mean it doesn't really work but it's still good because it's always enjoyable seeing Arnold take out a load of villains if anything the less sense it makes the better exactly and I think the genius of Verhoeven in this film is that he gets to the end and he's like well it's all a dream or maybe it's not (laughs) so fuck off doesn't matter excuses every plot hole (laughs) every single plot hole it was for a dream (laughs) well it continues to make less sense when he goes on the run and like Richter's men are after him because it has that classic 1980s (laughs) early 1990s thing of not giving a single solitary shit about collateral damage like (laughs) innocent bystanders are blown away Left, right, and centre in this scene, and the film doesn't care. You can't do that these days. You can't kill innocent people and just go, yeah, it's fine, whatever. A human shield. Absolutely. Why? He's holding that poor guy up to take all the bullets. That is yeah. absolutely outrageous behaviour. But overall, I do like the scene a lot. I think it's well paced. Really like the location shooting. It, it's classic innocent man on the run stuff, and it's done really well. And it's got one of, I think, the best touches in the film is when Doug runs through that X-ray machine. And all he sees, everyone's skeletons. Oh, yeah. That's really good. That's so good. That's so clever. I do think the window on the train breaks very easily from a pretty small tap he gives with it. I mean, it explodes. <laughs> Not for Arnold. <laughs> yeah. I think at this point, the film's moving like a rocket and then ended on the train when Doug's watching that ad about going to Mars. I think that's exposition done really well. Again, nobody on the train says a fucking no. thing. He's just standing yeah. there and he's just dove through the window, <laughs> covered in glass. Yeah. Doesn't even wipe the glass off, just standing <laughs> looking at him. All right, yeah, yeah. sound no. guy, yeah, no bother. Normal day, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that guy on the escalator. The innocent guy on the escalator who gets shot as shit hasn't done anything to anyone. <laughs> Arnold uses him as a human shield and then tosses his corpse at Ringer. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely hilarious. It's hilarious. How you, you, you know, for a fact, he's jumping. The stuntman's jumping. You can see him push himself off to get yeah. the leverage. It's not even realistic, but so brilliant. Yeah. It is brilliant. I mean, this whole chase scene was filmed in the Chabacana subway station in Mexico City, and they just changed the signs to English. That's all they did. All right. Because of the kind of 
new brutalism or whatever it was mm. called at the time for the architecture. Verhoeven saw it, loved it. All that did was change the signs and I think they painted the train from red to silver to give a futuristic look to it mm. all and then added the screens inside the trains. So it kept a lot of money down, but mm. it looks fantastic. It does look, looks really good. Brutalism is that like raw style where you can see the bare building materials like yeah. concrete was popular in the early 20th century. New brutalism, I think it's called. Isn't yeah. It? yeah, it does work pretty well, I think. Mm-hmm. It feels like a real place, at least, yeah. unlike some of the locations later on, which we'll talk about. Like Mars. <laughs> yeah, Mars yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised I haven't seen that subway station used in more things, though. I think it's got a real distinct look to it. It does look good. Yeah. And just after this scene, you get the, the very famous scene where Quaid pulls the bug out of his nose so Richter's men can't track him down. And this was obviously a Rob Bortain effect, you know, legend in his field. And they did this by making a cast of Schwarzenegger's head and then a mechanical version of it. And originally, the bug was more like a silver bullet, but Bortain went, no, let's make it much bigger. And it's filmed at a glass factory in California <laughs> where they pushed the tracker through the mechanical head's nose and aimed a laser beam at it to create the effect of the tracker glowing through the nose. Right. It's classic for Hoven. It really is. Like, yeah. It is. It's huge. Classic 14 as well, though. Let's make it bigger and more unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> but tell you what, the shot of Arnold pulling the bug from his nose, mm. it looks awesome. That yeah. effect. Yeah, that just, final shot. Yeah. It looks real. It looks really painful. Yeah. It's great how the capsule opens and you just see it as a small thing. Yeah. <laughs> and that yeah. could have just been yeah. straight in there. <laughs> And I think as well, when you compare that to like the fake Arnold head they had for the Terminator, mm. effects that came a long yeah. way in just six yes. years. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So that's the beginning of Total Recall. We've met all our main players, the story's in motion, and the crazy has only just begun, mm-hmm. I think. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. The director. The director of Total Recall was Paul Verhoeven. A filmmaker in his native Netherlands since the 1960s, he's most notably directed Soldier of Orange in 1977, mm-hmm. then Spetas in 1980 before transitioning to Hollywood and making Robocop in 1987. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Easy to see why he was then approached for Total Recall, I think, Matt. Yeah. I mean, I think what you get with Verhoeven here is what you get with most of his American films, certainly in this period, which is this sense that he doesn't take it all that seriously. What, America? Anything. I don't need to take anything seriously in life. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Everything in this film, it's just very, very tongue-in-cheek. I mean, practically yeah. touching his own ear. That's how much his tongue is in his cheek. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. It's like he watched Blade Runner and went, well, what if we did that but made it really ridiculous and quite camp? Yeah, go on then, Paul. See what that turns out like. So, you know, so much for it. He's just having a laugh with it, isn't he? You know, yeah. Casson Arnold is this menial blue-collar worker married to Sharon Stone. That's a big laugh. <laughs> when Doug goes on the run, you get the bit where he's talking to his own recording his house it, but he has to do the whole scene with a wet towel on his head. It's ridiculous. Yes. A wet towel is going to block the tracker. <laughs> well, just what? keep that on your head there. Yeah. <laughs> you sort it. You don't need yeah. the disguise later on. Just have a big wet towel on your head. You know, and it just gets even more bizarre when he gets to Mars. You know, none of the mutants look the same. One of them's got three breasts. When Doug gets rumbled trying to pass through security and that kicks off, he's diving about still dressed in a lady's coat. It's just like, it's like a pantomime in Verhoeven. He's just cackling at all this. He's just laughing his head off at everything. You know, the big fight at the end when you have that stripper played by a little person. She's on the bar with the newsie blowing people away. It's just... It's ridiculous, and it's turned up to 11. You know, there's nothing subtle in this film whatsoever. That's why you can have scenes of Arnie slugging Sean Stone right in the face, and you don't go, ooh, that's a bit much. You go, yeah, I'm not 
taken any of this seriously, so don't take that seriously either. You know, and that's just for Hoffman all over. I think he's never known he's serious about anything. Yeah, I think if ever there was a film that's like an audition to direct Total Recall, it's Robocop. Yeah. Futuristic satire, Ronnie Cox, Rob Bottin, yep. all in there, and obviously the brutal violence. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't like over-the-top violence in films, mm. and I'm no lover of gore for no reason, but with Verhoeven, it's always so over-the-top, so unnecessary, that it's glorious. Yeah. Yeah, it's Tom and Jerry, isn't it? <laughs> it is Tom and Jerry, yeah, yeah, it really is. <laughs> Apparently, Verhoeven wanted to avoid the criticisms that he got for the gratuitous gore in Robocop, and that was why he brought in Rob Bottin, which, even for Verhoeven, <laughs> makes no sense. No sense whatsoever. Bringing yeah, the guy who did yeah. the thing. Well, that's it. He said that he wanted to focus on mutations rather than blood, right. apparently. But even then, I'm not sure that he does. No. Because they still used over 3,000 blood packs on the film. <laughs> and I saw an interview with Verhoeven where he said, a lot of people complained there were 50 or 60 people killed in the film. And, yes, that's true. <laughs> do you know what the, you know what the body count is? <laughs> what? 77 is it wow yeah, it is. <laughs> that's when it was cut as well to get the yeah. the nc-17 or whatever or the r rating because you had to cut all of that out he said there's only 77 deaths <laughs> 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 well i mean even if you don't like verhoven because of that a criticism that you can't level at him is you can't call him bland no nah. you can't say that he doesn't have a vision when he makes mm. a film i always enjoy watching a verhoven film even the not as good ones because he has a style his creative decisions are often really weird, which I like. Like towards the end here, when Cohagen's cut off the oxygen supply on Mars, there's a scene in Cohagen's office between him and Richter that ends with Cohagen kicking over the fish tank. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> we get a yeah. close-up of a fish gasping for air, and yeah. Verhoeven uses that to transition to the mutants on Mars also gasping for air. <laughs> it's a little clumsy, but it's insane, and I love it. Yeah. yeah. And that's Verhoeven to me. Yeah. Yeah. Verhoeven, for me, is one of my favourite sci-fi trilogies in Robocop, Total Recall, and Starship Troopers. Lovely. And all of them films have something to say. They've got a heart and soul that are dressed in this kind of circus, that are dressed in this pantomime. But beneath it, you know, he has got something to say that really makes sense. There is a comment on culture. There is a comment on, on religion. There is a comment on what is reality, what is dreams. And it does have these underlying themes that are really, really serious. And what he does so well as he kind of dresses it up and makes it into this fairy cake where you, you, it tastes great but it looks ridiculous <laughs> you know I mean? that's what he does and that's what he does really well and it's the way that he has a flow to a film I don't think any of them three films you could say oh I don't like that bit mm. or oh, that bit was boring yeah. he creates films that he wants to make and has them flow so well that when he cuts out 20% of it just so it gets into the cinema because of the violence, it still makes sense. <laughs> That's genius to me. And I love what he does with this one is create that sense of the dream and what is real and what isn't and he doesn't even answer the question and he doesn't care and that's why I love him mm. I love watching his films I'll watch all of them I think he's a great, great director I don't think there's anybody like him So Total Recall is based on We Can Remember It For You Wholesale a Philip K. Dick short story and Ronald Schuss had bought the rights in the mid-70s the yeah. first production company to try and get a film adaptation made were the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, owned by Dino De Laurentiis in 1984. Mm-hmm. And the director De Laurentiis wanted wasn't Paul Verhoeven. Originally, he brought in Richard Rush, who had directed The Stuntman, starring Peter O'Toole. Right. Rush came and went, and then De Laurentiis brought in a pretty big directing name. Mm. Have you heard who that was? It was another madman, if that helps. Uh, Cronenberg. It was. It was David Cronenberg. And he'd actually written 12 drafts, so he was attached for a substantial amount of time. <laughs> yeah. 
but he left the project because he and Shusset couldn't agree creatively. Cronenberg wanted to stay faithful to the book, but Shusset wanted Raiders of the Lost Ark on Mars, as Cronenberg put it. But <laughs> he did leave a stamp on the film, though, because it was his idea to bring in the mutants in Kuatu. Of course it was. I mean, that's what Quarter would look like in Cronenberg's version. Oh, God. <laughs> We'd just be coming through a telly, yeah. wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read an interview with Cronenberg where he said that Shutter came to him when they were working on it and went, you know what you've done, don't you? You've made the Philip K. Dick version. I mean, like, as opposed to what? <laughs> You've used the source material, you fucking moron. <laughs> and he'd actually turned down the fly to make Total Recall, Cronenberg. Yeah. Oh, wow. But when Chuster wanted to make Raiders of the Mars Ark or whatever, Cronenberg <laughs> left to make the fly. Right. So it didn't work out too badly for him. Oh, that's good then. De Laurentiis then brought in Bruce Beresford, have you heard of this guy? He directed Driving Miss Daisy. Yeah. The Johnny Cab sequences would have been fucking yeah. unreal. <laughs> <laughs> so he was signed up to direct, but then in 1988, the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group went bankrupt and Total Recall went into turnaround. And I think Arnold jumped on it, didn't he? He did. But I mean, I want Cronenberg, but if he won't do it, I want the guy who did Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so when it went to turn around, the script went back around Hollywood. De Laurentiis had actually turned Arnold down earlier when he wanted to be in the film, but now Arnold did see his chance and mm. took the script to his pal Mario Casar, who owned Carolco Pictures. So every crazy man in Hollywood working on this <laughs> yeah, one. Get them all yeah. in there. And according to Arnold, Carolco bought the rights within like two hours. So they hadn't read it, just straight <laughs> in there. Yeah. And get this, the deal that Arnold apparently struck with Kassar was that he would star in the film and get paid $11 million. Right. On top of that, he got 15% of the gross profits. And on top of that, he had final say over who the director was. Amazing. And he handpicked Paul Verhoeven together at last. <laughs> I mean, what's going on? Arnold calling every shot. Yeah, Arnold was originally considered for Robocop, though, wasn't he? And they just said he's just too big. Right. He's yeah. too big for the suit, apparently, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and with this being filmed in Mexico, pretty much everyone in production at one point felt sick because of the tap water quality over there, don't drink it. So the only people who did avoid it were Ronald Chassette, because apparently he was a health nut and he only drank bottled water anyway. And Arnie, because, <laughs> like, say, calling the shots, he just had his own food and drink flown in from the U.S., yeah. <laughs> Every day that's and amazing. his own chef he's had his own chef to cook it <laughs> as well amazing um, and apparently Verhoeven got so ill there was actually an ambulance on set that would give him fluids in between takes yeah ridiculous and Verhoeven said that the only time Arnie got sick was when his chef got sick and he had to eat the <laughs> <laughs> really Raiders on the last stock on Mars yeah. that isn't it get some spaghetti yeah. hoops <laughs> yeah the reason that Arnold had his own food flown in was because he became ill in Mexico filming Predator a few years yeah. earlier okay. and yeah. the production designer William Sandell said that the air in Mexico was like smoking two packets of cigarettes a day Jesus Christ, Christ. I mean what cigarettes if it's lucky strikes, let's get over there, Westy. <laughs> Straight in there. <laughs> Just lie on the ground as soon as you get off the plane. Oh, lovely this. <laughs> For his work on Total Recall, Paul Verhoeven was not nominated at the Oscars. Huge snub. It was, though, the middle part of Verhoeven's Triple Dutch trilogy, sandwiched in between Robocop and Starship Troopers, mm, which is metal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Verhoeven on Total Recall, an out-there director, out-there going on behind the scenes, mm. and an out-there film. Absolutely. Yeah. The cast. An eccentric director in Paul Verhoeven, and that was definitely reflected in the cast as well. We're going to be talking two of the main antagonists in the film, in Michael Ironside as Richter and Sharon Stone as Laurie. But before that, where do you think we're going to start? 
Where do you think? Ronnie Cox? (laughs) So Arnold, the Austrian Oak Schwarzenegger, is Douglas Quaid slash Karl Hauser. Starring the film as a man obsessed with visiting Mars, we follow Arnold from recall bringing back memories of Hauser through going on the run, ending up on Mars, to using an alien reactor to breathe life into the planet. Mm. Some story, if it happened. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) how's Arnold this time round, Westy? I honestly think he's really good in the part. I think it's changed just enough to make sense of, like, this guy's confused, right? But it does make sense that he would be somebody of stature as a secret agent or somebody who could, like, have that ability to fuck things up or you'd be worried about what he could do, not necessarily what he could think. So I think that might be slightly miscast. If they'd made him physically weaker... And then he has to find that again. That's fine. But I can't imagine him ever being mentally strong. (laughs) It's like, okay, let's make it a little bit more physical. Let's make it a bit more dreamy or reality-based. And I think he kind of enjoys what he's doing. He's having a good time in this Mm. film. And it makes you have a good time. Some of his line delivery is questionable. (laughs) Some of it's incredible. Some of the physicality, you just think, that's ridiculous, but I love it. And he fits really, really well with Verhoeven. So much so that I was, I'm wondering why he hasn't worked more together. I know. After this, Dream to team. be honest, because it, it does really come across that they really got on with each other and Arnold fought in his corner for every single thing, every cut, mm. every, you know, he was overpowering everything. For me, I think it really works. I was a huge, huge fan of Arnold at the time, still am. Mm. <laughs> there was no questioning at the time. But now you look back and think, well, maybe <laughs> it could have been a little bit different where he's like, I love this idea. I want to be part of it. Let's just mold the whole story around who I am. Yeah. But yeah, I do like him in it. Yeah, well, it's Arnold being Arnold, isn't it? Yeah. Well, what isn't? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, one-liners, loads of killings, lots of ah, ah, ah in there. Classic Arnold, this. Yeah. It's such a specific niche Arnold managed to carve out for himself in Hollywood. Mm. It's this combination where he comes across as both knowing his limitations, but also having this complete sincerity in his delivery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. Wolven said that Arnold has no ego. He doesn't say, don't hurt me. He just says, fuck yeah. Not entirely sure what that means, but it sounds good. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think he's ever scared to approach, like, a challenge. There are other people who try to do the Arnold thing, I think, like Mm. Vin Diesel, The Rock, maybe. Mm. But nobody comes close to Arnold being Arnold for me. On the commentary, there's a bit where Verhoeven has to explain the plot of Total Recall to Arnold. (laughs) (laughs) On the commentary, that's about 20 years after the film's come out, right? He's like, no, Arnold, how's that is quid? And Arnold's like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is, yeah, about 20 years later, so I'm sure Arnold just forgot. But I like to think that he just had no idea what was going on when yeah, they were making yeah. the film. Why am I wearing a different suit? <laughs> Talking to that iPad and shut the fuck up. Yeah. I mean, not the best film Arnold's been in by any stretch, but I think Total Recall might be the best Arnold film. Like, you're sure real. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I can do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not convinced no I'm just saying he's miscast like because he has that physical presence but for me that presence undercuts what Quaid's arc should be through the film and it's you know we do often think of the same things because I had this in my notes as well John but it is like the scene in The Born Identity when Matt Damon springs into action that's really shocking because it's like but Matt Damon's not an action star, not in 2002. And, and Damon's a much better actor, so he can sell the confusion. Like, how did I do that? When you get the similar scene here, it's just, yeah, it's Arnie kicking ass, isn't it? So, yeah. yeah. Arnold's fine. I mean, yeah. I do really like him, and he just has that really unique presence and aura to him that I like saying no one else has, but I just think a bit of a missed opportunity would have been getting someone else in instead. Yeah. 
he is miscast, but I mean, Arnold's made an entire career out of being miscast, hasn't he? Yeah. Say, what, what isn't he miscasting, yeah. apart from Terminator and Predator? Apart from Pump and Iron. Yeah, when he's the emotionless robot, then he's not miscast. I <laughs> when it's a documentary about him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, his role, yeah. Well, see what you think of this, Matt, because when Bruce Beresford was attached to direct, he had Patrick Swayze lined up to play Quaid. Ooh. Yeah, he was the original, wasn't he? Right, okay. Yeah. When Cronenberg was involved, he wanted William Hurt to play Quaid. Right, yeah. I see that. Other names were considered at various points too. Jeff Bridges was one. Oh, Bridges uh-huh. would have been good, yeah. And what would you have thought of Richard Dreyfus as Quaid? No. no. I would have been surprised if he started kicking yeah. ass, I'll tell you that, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Schwarzenegger actually injured himself a few times because we do say if he goes for it, he goes mm. for it. So filming the scene after he shoots Dr. Edgemar when he fights off Richter's men, Schwarzenegger broke a finger and had to wear a cast for the rest of the shoot. Wow. And in the subway scene where Quaid smashes the train window, as Matt loves that sequence, oh, yeah. <laughs> there's a tiny explosive that was meant to shatter the glass, but it didn't go off as he hit the glass for real and cut himself. So he actually... Hit that for real. All right, yeah. Well, there you are. Yeah. Jesus Liz. Christ. He's getting on the Metro come hella high water, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Arnold doesn't need an explosive to smash a train window. <laughs> nah. Arnold is the explosive. <laughs> <laughs> Putting Arnold in there. So one of the many benefits of becoming an All The Right Movies patron is that we'll answer your questions on the show. Mm-hmm. We've got our first of those questions right now, and it's on Arnold. Mm. Right. So there was a very similar question that came in from both Marta Gadis and Jack Harding. Mm-hmm. So hello, Marta and Jack. Hello, Marta and Jack. Hello, Marta and Jack. Now, both Marta and Jack questioned the casting of Arnold. Obviously. (laughs) Blockbuster blasphemy, I know, but Matt seems to agree. Mm -hmm. So the question is, who else would you have cast as Quaid? Mm. Matt? Well, I did like the mention of Jeff Bridges. I think he would have been great. Yeah. I do think 90-90, though. I like the idea with Tom Cruise, actually. I think Tom Cruise could have uh, done really well. But he went out and do Minority Report. That's what's well, yeah, that's you. it. Yeah, it's Minority Report in the background. <laughs> yeah, I like that. A Willem Dafoe thing. He could have been because when he goes nuts, he he does it a really interesting way. I think Dafoe yeah, could have done well. Yeah, that would have been good. Um, yeah. And I think if you did want to kind of push a bit more into the action role, but someone who can act a bit better, I think Kurt Russell would have been good as well. Of course. Yeah, I had Kurt Russell. That was like my top choice. Mm. But obviously, around that time, Christoph Lambert. Lambert. (laughs) (laughs) He would have been so confused. And we would have been even more confused. But he can kick some arse as well. He would have been great. Just pulling out a samurai sword out of nowhere. The only choice where the acting quality would go down. (laughs) (laughs) Really is. Art is subjective. Fuck off. (laughs) Well, for his performance as Douglas Quaid, Arnold was nominated for and won Best Actor at the Oscars. Not really, obviously. No, that's an implanted <laughs> memory. <laughs> yeah. The winner that year, though, any ideas? Uh, it was Jeremy Irons in Reversal of Fortune. Right. Oh. That's been totally forgotten. Mm-hmm. Arnold, though, anything but. And one of his better performances as Quaid? Anything but. <laughs> <laughs> the main antagonist in the film, or at least the one we see the most of, is Richter played by Michael Ironside. Mm-hmm. Yep. Co enforcer tasked with hunting down Arnold, he has a personal grudge against the big man through his lover, Laurie, and ultimately faces off against Arnold, losing his upper limbs in the process. <laughs> he does. He's armless, really, isn't he, Matt? Oh, that was cool, man. That was cool. <laughs> oh classic John. He gets drunk in Starship Troopers and he's fucking legless. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. 
No, Einstein is. I really, really enjoyed his performance. I think he's just one of those actors. Whenever he's in something, I'm happy to see him because he's just always yeah. really good. And obviously, Verhoeven yeah. must have enjoyed working with him. Like we said, brings him back for Starship Troopers. And I think, yeah, he's really good. He, but he's bringing a lot to a bad guy role that's just pretty standard. I think the most interesting thing about Richter is that relationship he has with Laurie. You know, yeah. he has to put up with the fact that she's sleeping with Doug to maintain the illusion of that fake marriage. Which I really like the bit where Richter's little sidekick, who really looks like Malcolm McDowell, I think. He does, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he does, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. But I do like how he finds that funny. He says, you know, I wouldn't want a guy like Quaid Pogan and my old lady. He's saying she liked it. No, I'm sure she, she hated every minute yeah. of it. Yeah, it's just the way he delivers that line. Yeah, it is. It's a great line. So you do get that, like, interesting undercurrent of jealousy, what Laurie's having to do for the job. But I think, like, a lot of things in this film, it's not explored that much. And I think could be pushed a bit more. So I think Ironside, he does what he does well. And considering he's the henchman, not the main villain, I think he's much more memorable than Ronnie Cox is in the film. Oh, absolutely. Mm. I mean, he's got a villain's face, Michael Ironside, hasn't he? He really does, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Almost always the bad guy. Yeah. The only times I've ever seen him as the good guy are in V, the TV series, oh, yeah. and Starship Troopers. Troopers. Yeah, 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 even yeah. then, he's like an arsehole good guy. Yeah, yeah, he's the sergeant, yeah, the gunnery sergeant, yeah. yeah. I do think he's a very one-note character, Richter. Mm. I mean, they try and give him some depth with the Laurie angle, yeah. but even with that, I wouldn't say he has loads of layers. Mm. And it's disgusting when he kisses Sharon Stone and gets the tongue straight in there. Oh, yeah. yeah, Outrageous. Yeah. Really <laughs> unnecessary. So he's not the greatest villain you'll ever see, Richter, but I do like Michael Ironside, and I like him in this with his villain's face. Yeah, he's a goodie in Top Gun as well. Let's not forget about that. Oh, of course he is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, not a chance. He's fantastic. I absolutely love Ironside and everything he's in. I first saw him in Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate bad guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Absolutely yeah, yeah, bastard in that. that. Yeah. He's fucking he great in that. He, just, he makes the whole <laughs> film, does, let's yeah. be honest. And he, he kind of makes this as well. I think it's, it's just the right level of hammy. Mm. You know, when, when Quaid gets away on the train and he just shouts, ah! Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> you think, that could have been terrible, but yeah. he really sells it because he's almost straight down the lens mm -hmm. but yeah I love it and like Matt said I think that relationship with Laurie is really fucking interesting mm. and really intricate and then it's mm. just shot in the head and then it's just over yeah. with and you're like oh that could have really been something else mm. and they could have paced that out and her character could have changed back and forwards and I don't know they could have made something more of that but I guess there's just no room for that in mm. this film the, the pace mm. that it goes overall you remember Ironside over Roddy Cox in this as the kind of the main bad guy mm. oh for sure you do yeah Thing is, I mean, we all love Einstein, but there were two other actors known for playing villains who were reported before him. So the first was Robert Davey, who probably most famous for playing Bond villain Franz Sanchez in Licence to Kill. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. And one of the Fratelli brothers, obviously. obviously. <laughs> but also approached Kurdwood Smith, who had played Clarence Bodica in Robocop. Yeah. Of course, Smith was in there. Of course he was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're hoping you're trying to get everyone from Robocop back in. I know, right? I'm surprised all the whole goons like chasing after him weren't just the guys from yeah. Robocop. Yeah. yeah. Michael Ironside was actually one of the first people up to play Robocop, but Verhoeven yeah. said that they disagreed too much. Which yeah. doesn't sound like Verhoeven, does no. it? No, not at all. Ironside, I'm gonna make him into a baddie. No, it's Robocop. Like you're a good guy. As well as Arnold, Michael Ironside also hurt himself on the film. Filmed one of the chase scenes, he ran into Michael Champion, who played Helm. Richter's sidekick guy and cracked his sternum and separated two ribs Oof. again this is really similar to Kirkwood Smith in Robocop when he slams into the desk he breaks his ribs oh, yeah. and just mm. got on with it so he's out the action for three weeks and got through the rest of filming by wearing a rib guard that had belonged to LA Raiders quarterback Jim Plunkett. So well. he's in, I think you can kind of see that in the later ones he's running really funny yeah. he's got this kind of guarded side to him 
always with the sports references you, Westy. I know, I love it, man. <laughs> People listening will be like, who's this sports guy? <laughs> <laughs> Is he on the right podcast? Oh, God. And there's this other story, though, and I absolutely love this story. It's so good. Schwarzenegger right. notes that Einside was on the phone a lot between takes, and he did a bit of digging. He found out Einside was phoning his sister, Wendy, because she had cancer. And then Schwarzenegger took to calling her every day as well. Oh, amazing. Just a really lovely happy ending because she made a full recovery. But, you know, what a guy Arnold is. Oh, class. Yeah. yeah. Lovely story. I like how you say that as if she made a full recovery because of Arnold's calls. Oh, that's how good he is. <laughs> he can cure cancer. You know what I'd love is if Ironside knew nothing about it. <laughs> <laughs> just ringing about his back, just hanging the phone up and he just presses redial. It's Arnold! <laughs> it's Arnold! <laughs> it's not a tumour! <laughs> so Michael Ironside, a villain's face, but by the end of the shoot, great pals with Arnold mm-hmm. and very good, is Richter? Yeah, yes. Oh, yeah, very, very good. memorable. Yeah, really enjoyed him. That's the two male leads, and there's also a strong female character to talk about. Mm-hmm. That's Sharon Stone as Laurie Quaid. Mm. Arnold's is she, isn't she wife? She's a tennis-playing, kung-fu-fighting badass who drives part of the narrative until she's divorced by Arnold in the midpoint. Mm. Yep. Would you like to tie Laurie up, Matt? <laughs> You're just trying to get us in trouble here, John. Falling <laughs> <laughs> for that old trick. No... I really like Sharon Stone this. We did a Patreon episode on her quite a while back, and I said then Sharon Stone, like, I don't think she ever quite worked out what she wanted to do. Did she want to be the serious actress who does Casino, or does she want to be be a movie star? She, she kind of got caught in the middle, I think. But this is one of her best roles, I think, and I think she's just having so much fun playing the femme fatale in this. Like, yeah. that early scene where she's trying to distract Doug from talking about mortals, you know. She's on his lap, she's waving, like, in front of his face, all, like, playing cutesy 90 like the wife. That plays very differently on repeat viewings. And I think she sells all those personality flips that Laurie does really effectively. Not just personality flips, physical flips. Physical flips <laughs> yeah, as well, great. Um, <laughs> when she reveals the truth to Doug, that works. When she turns up on Mars and tries to persuade Doug, no, I'm still on your side, that works. Yeah. Mm. When she tries to bargain for a life and she's got that fear in her eyes, that works. So overall, I think, like Einstein, she brings a lot to a, a fairly thin character on the page. And I think she's definitely more appealing than Rachel to court as, as Melina, who I don't think has anything like Stone's charisma about her. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think that coming back to all recall now, after a few years, the best thing about the film, certainly in the cast, is Sharon Stone, mm. is Laurie. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. she's brilliant. Mm. There's two sides to her personality, the soft, loving Arnold's wife, and then the ruthless killer. Yeah. And those moments, and there's a few, where she flips mm. from one personality to the other in front of our eyes, they're the best moments in the film, for me. Yeah. And she's excellent in the action scenes as well. Mm-hmm. Always kicking Arnold's ass. <laughs> and crotch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it when she knocks him out on Mars and she's like, you know how much I hate this fucking planet. Yeah. Great delivery, that. Yeah. It is great, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Best performance in the film by a long way, for me. Mm. And the film definitely drops in quality quite a lot when she's gone. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It, it definitely does drop. And the thing is, when you see her on Mars, her and Rick are like the perfect baddie couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I want to see them go off and do a film by yeah, themselves. Yeah, yeah. Of, yeah. Like, just what they were, like Mr. and Mrs. Smith. You <laughs> yeah, know what yeah, I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. People yeah. Up. True romance, yeah. Just Badlands of Mars. Just fucking people <laughs> up. Great, get Malik involved. But I just think they just sit really well as a couple, and she delivers that. And, and yeah, she's very untrustworthy, and at the same time, really trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think she delivers on all levels. For what she is, and for what she's in it, she's thoroughly enjoyable. Mm. 
Oh, yeah, she definitely is. I mean, you're right, she proves herself completely untrustworthy, Laurie, but I think because it's Sharon Stone, you want to trust her mm-hmm. because she's yeah. so charming yeah. and she's so easy to look at. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, though, she wasn't the first person in consideration. That was Cynthia Rothrock, the martial arts actress. Nice. General Bryan. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, General Bryan <laughs> yes. in there. Uh, but she said later she didn't get the part because some of the actors, and she doesn't say who exactly, but some of the actors didn't like the idea of being like overshadowed by her actual martial arts skills. Right. Mm. But I mean, if I'm an actor, I'd rather be outshone by Rothrock's martial arts skills than get blown off the screen by Stone as an actor. Yeah. Which everyone else does. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. And her martial arts skills are really good yeah. as well. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> and Arnold also said that he was really impressed with Sharon Stone's dedication. He called her the female Terminator. Yeah. And she said she was covered in bruises for weeks because hitting Arnold is like hitting a brick wall, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and also after the film, Sharon Stone was inducted into the Stunt Woman Association as an honorary member. Oh, wow. Which is nice. nice. Amazing. Yeah. So Verhoeven said it was Stone's performance as Laurie that convinced him to cast her as Catherine Trammell in Basic Instinct. Mm. Lovely. Great. Yeah. Specifically, our ability to go from, like we've said, from charming to diabolical yeah. and back again. But... Verhoeven also said that that's what Sharon Stone was like in real life, and I totally, totally fucking believe him, 100%. Yeah, well, I mean, when she's got Verhoeven asking her to take her clothes off, aren't lying in bed with her with nothing on, and Ironside getting his tongue in there, yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Don't yeah. blame her. She kept saying no. Of course yeah. she fucking <laughs> There's a wider cast and total recall, and we'll talk a bit about Rachel Tacourt in his Arnold's eventual love interest, Melina, and Ronnie Cox as chief villain, Cohagan, shortly but in those three Arnold, Ironside and Stone three performances of varying styles <laughs> style word for it yeah. style yeah. Yeah. yeah disciplines this episode of All the Right Movies is sponsored by Better Help without a healthy mind being truly happy and at peace is hard the good news is therapy works but what is therapy exactly It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now, you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customised online therapy that offers video, phone and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And, special offer to all the Right Movies listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash A-T-R-M. That's betterhelp.com slash A-T-R-M. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. The Middle Having removed the bug and realised he's Quaid and Hauser, Arnold follows instructions from himself and heads to Mars. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about Arnold, Laurie and the most final divorce ever, but first we're looking at how Arnold gets to the Red Planet. We are. Yeah. While having been evaded by Arnold on Earth, Richter and his men set up camp and survey the immigration control desk on Mars, waiting for the big man. Mm -hmm. 
In the scenes that follow, we head to the Venusville district and meet Melina and Benny the cab driver, but not before seeing Arnold don the most ludicrous disguise ever put on film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's up there, yeah. Get ready for a surprise, Matt. <laughs> How's Mars? How's Mars? How is Mars? It's no Snickers, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I have some questions about this scene. <laughs> Go for it. What the hell kind of disguise is this? How is it supposed to work? <laughs> Why is the only thing you can see it two weeks? It says something else perfectly fine just before it exports. <laughs> Why is it a bomb at the same time? Is is that him freaking out? Is it the mask freaking out? How does it work? Like <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Matt, what's happened here is you fall into the trap of asking questions about Total Recall. That's a rabbit hole you don't want to go down. That's it. Trying to think about logically, I mean, I know it's the future, but I'm guessing it still takes quite a while to get from Earth to Mars. So did he not have to interact with anyone else on this huge trip to Mars? He said there with this woman's head on his head. Like, yeah, the effects work is great, but Richter, he sees this woman freaking out and goes, Quaid, how does he know? (laughs) That's Quaid. That must be Quaid. What? (laughs) Like, it's got some competition, but this has to be the most WTF scene in the film by a long distance. (laughs) Wow. What a scene. It's fine, though, because it's all a dream. (laughs) (laughs) The end of the scene we talked about before, where Arnold removes the bug from his nose, Mm. that was supposed to be followed by an effect scene where we see Arnold's shuttle heading for Mars. Right. And Eric Brevig, the effect supervisor, had miniatures created, but they didn't have the budget. So Verhoeven came up with the idea of having Arnold's video freeze on get your ass to Mars, get your ass to Mars, then cutting to Mars. (laughs) Another great Verhoeven transition. (laughs) Rat blood. Coming down the street, yeah, ridiculous. red into red, danger. <laughs> Do you think anyone's going to get this? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure we'll get it, Paul. It's a bit subtle, Paul, isn't it? Subtle for him. <laughs> but this thing you're talking about, Matt, the effects mm. work to create that fake head of the woman mm-hmm. when she's like, two weeks, two weeks. And we find uh, out it's Arnold. It's superb. That shot where her ear pops out and back in and the head comes apart, yeah. that is sensational. Yeah, it's That's Rob Bottin magic. Yeah. And it's up there with almost anything he's done. For me, I think it looks real. Yeah. And that shot makes the whole scene for me because the rest of it is ludicrous. Yeah. But practical effects work at their best. <laughs> you can't say anything other than two weeks. But once the head comes off, just like, get ready for a the surprise. surprise. <laughs> Chatty Cathy all of a sudden. With calculators <laughs> sellotaped to the wrists. <laughs> you noticed that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that act was playing the disguise. She's called Priscilla Allen. And when she saws a passport, you can see it says Priscilla Allen on that. Oh, it's signed, yeah. It's yeah, signed yeah. that, but in the scriptures, it's credited as Fat Lady, which is, you know... Wow. That's something <laughs> with a CV, isn't it? Yeah. Tell you what I would have liked. You know that woman that Arnold comes across earlier who tries to take his case? The one who was like, the old fuck lady. you, you asshole. Yeah, which is a not determinator, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. I think it would have been better if Priscilla Allen had played her as well. And in this scene, we would have recognised her, yeah. and it would have been even more ludicrous yeah. when her head comes apart. I mean, it would have made no sense. Yeah. Yeah, the disguise is in the suitcase in the background when he's pulling the thing out of his nose, though. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, come on, it makes sense yeah. now. <laughs> it's all set up, what are you talking about? It's all there. Yeah. It's all on the screen. It's all there somewhere. Yeah, it would have made no sense, but I'm not sure that's a major concern, to be honest. No. And then we get to the last resort. What a place. <laughs> the first resort for me. Yeah. Right, it will be. First resort for anyone. Is this in the airport? No, let's just get a taxi there. We know exactly where we're going. But honestly, I love the production design here. I love the, the work that was done on the mutants. I think it's absolutely inspiring when mm-hmm. you just go, you know, that little girl is just so like, she's just so sweet, mm-hmm. but just yeah. so innocent. And you feel sorry for the people immediately. 
And the guy comes up and is like, oh, you, you shouldn't be showing your face around here, Quaid. He's like, look who's talking. Yeah. And it's like, stop being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> he's surely he's had a bit much to go through in yeah. his life, and he's just being a complete wanker about it. And it's just got a real sense of, like, familiarity. I don't know why, mm. but it's really familiar. As if, like, I, be, I wish I'd been there before, but I always feel like this is really total recall. Like, have I fucking been there? Because I think that looks like every place that I either want to go or have been before. <laughs> Great production design, great set of characters, and I think this could have been a little bit more dark, it could have been a little bit more heavy, and it could have been a little bit more mysterious, but it's just the Hoven, isn't it? What else are you going to do? Yeah, I would say that visually, once we get to Mars, I'm always disappointed. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's the production design, or the way it's been shot, or a bit of both, but Venusville... This does not look like one of the most expensive movies ever made to me, which no. it was at the time. Yeah. yeah. More than twice the budget of Blade Runner. I mean, come on. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. The propeller props as well were used on Die Hard 2, yeah. weren't they? Ah, oh, is that the same ones? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, But the narrative carries on being ridiculous, so it's fine. We get the last resort, the bar, and Mary's in there with three boobs. Tony's in yeah. there with a vagina for a face. Thumbelina, the little violent prostitute, classic yeah. Verhoeven. Classic Cronenberg, though, isn't it? I was going to say, we're sure Cronenberg didn't direct this bit. and it's the shootout when things go really crazy Hmm. first off no need for Richter to gun down Mary in cold blood that's genuinely awful yeah yeah but then Thumbelina slicing up Helm is great. <laughs> that scream, the close-up on his face. She runs at him for yeah. ages. Little patter of feet. Ah, fuck That moment was apparently a lot longer in the original cut, but the MPAA told him to reduce it. Originally, she stabbed him and then sliced right up his chest. Like, fucking brilliant. Vito in The Godfather too. And this is for you. And then Thumbelina with the machine gun mowing bad guys down. And Richter diving out the window in slow motion is schlocky, hilarious Verhoeven brilliance. It's fantastic. (laughs) It is fantastic. And Mary, the mutant with the three breasts, she was originally supposed to have four. But Verhoeven said it looked too much like cow's udders, so they changed it to three. (laughs) And she's played by Lishy and Naff. And she said she actually found the whole thing humiliating because it's not her body that we actually see. It's obviously prosthetics. But she says she still felt totally exposed by it and was apparently close to tears between takes. And since then, she's never done any interviews or TV spots for the film. Wow. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that's quite sad. Mm. I mean, not massively surprising. Verhoeven and Arnold's boys club on set, yeah, no exactly. doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Alicia Naff also played Ensign Sonia Gomez in Star Trek The Next Generation for people who are keeping notes. <laughs> Which is just you, I think. Once you can listen back to this book. Yeah, I remember that. I put that back in me notes. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what else, though. Benny's line when he says, You make me wish I had three hands. Mm. Is that just sleazy dialogue or genius foreshadowing? Because it turns out Benny actually does have three hands when he shows us his mutant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> brilliant, yeah. I don't think you can say genius in relation to the writing on this train. <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. It's almost certainly sleazy. It's a wonderful sleazy coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so our first exposure to Mars might not all look great, but it's brilliantly bonkers still. Mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic, yeah. Having been told by Melina to leave her alone, Arnold heads to his hotel and it's not long before he's on the run again when first Dr. Edgemar shows up, then Laurie shows up, then Richter's men show up, and then Melina shows up. It's basically carnage, isn't it, Westy? It is. It's absolutely crazy from here on in. (laughs) Some really nice nods. I think it slows a little bit when Laurie and Edgemar turn up and try and make some sense of what's going on. And I think we need that at that point. 
and I think Arnold plays this really well as a confused guy with a gun, which he's, <laughs> he's done so many so many times since and before. So it, it works really well here. <laughs> what do you mean? But there's some lovely framing in this sequence. There's some lovely foreshadowing, and there's some lovely points to later films that have used this sequence. And Arnold's got the gun to, to Doc's head, and he, there's that mirror reflection, and it's framed perfectly to see that the Doc's not in the room. Mm. It's just quaid. And you think, well, yeah, there's two sides to his personality, but also, is he really there? Mm. Is this a dream? Mm. Is it not? Yeah. And it's where Verhoeven is, I can't actually say, getting pretty clever with a framing. Yeah. I mean, it's not Kubrick, but I mean, he's <laughs> trying to say something and it's visually interesting mm. and it makes sense and there's not much dialogue to it and it's good. And the really interesting thing is they take the red pill and you'll come out of this if you don't. Mm. And then that's the Matrix yeah. all the way through yeah. to the red pill yeah. and you'll come out. And even if you, if you just take them ideas and that one scene, you'll go, oh, I want to watch the rest of Total Recall. If it's this clever all the way through, <laughs> I'll be really invested. But this is it. Yeah. And it feels like Verhoeven's just went out for a Burger King at this point. And he's just, and somebody else has come across and just went, do this and do that, right? It's a red pill. Frame it here so there's just him in the mirror. We're quick, Paul's coming back. Paul's coming back. Why is he not sweating? And then the sweat was, blow him in the head. Shoot him again. Make it up. And you're like, oh, fuck, that was so good. Really nice visual storytelling in about three and a half minutes of Total Recall which I'm glad I get to talk about that scene <laughs> yeah I think you managed to sum up Arnold's whole career quite succinctly there Westy yeah thanks <laughs> confused guy with a gun that's him yeah, isn't it <laughs> that was it <laughs> <laughs> yeah but this scene with Dr Edgemore it's by a mile the best non-action scene in the film I think yeah and I think it might be like you say the best directed scene in the film as well mm-hmm. the job that Verhoeven does of raising the tension in us and conveying the tension in the characters is excellent I know he said that he took inspiration from Torn Curtain by Hitchcock. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, the scene where the professor's trying to get information out of Paul Newman. Paul Newman, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of low-angle shots in that where you can see the ceiling, and it's the same here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the actor who plays Dr. Edgemore, Roy Brocksmith, I think he's really good as well. He is, he's great. Verhoeven said, I was looking for somebody a bit strange and weird in the face. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> thanks. In a film which has vagina face Tony, and you still cast this guy, that's not a compliment. <laughs> He's amazing, isn't he, Verhoeven? <laughs> and also, Arnold sees one bead of sweat on Edgemore and just blows him away. <laughs> Guilty as fuck. That means you're not dreaming. But again, Stone's delivery when Laurie's like, now you've done it. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Great scene. Second best scene in the film for me. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to talk about the scene that comes after this, which is the big fight between Laurie and Melina. Lovely. You've got to give the editor credit here because he makes it look like every single one of those punches and kicks lands and you yeah, know, credit makes it look like it, it's, it's always those two in there and it's not two stunt doubles. On the whole, though, it, I mean, let's be honest, it's a bit of a rubbish fight. Whoa! I got it. This is John's favourite scene. Uh, sorry, John. I'm going to piss all over this. You know what it does remind me of, though? You know, an airplane when Ted Strike is in the bar and the two girl guys having a fight <laughs> the over girl the scouts. Yeah, it, okay. it reminds me a little bit of that. Because I was watching the scene on YouTube by itself, just like at the last minute, get some more notes together. And I was scrolling through the comments, like, best cut fight ever, one of the best fights on screen. And I was just sat thinking, is it though? Is it really? <laughs> Both comments by John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek notes, zero one. <laughs> what I do like though is it does lead up to the best line in the film. And I really like how Stone plays it when she realizes, oh, I've pushed Duck too far. And she's, yeah. this is the only time she's after death, and she plays that really, really well. So I totally buy the desperation EBA. Consider that a divorce. Great line finished on. 
Yeah. Yeah. You've called it Wesley because I said the last scene was the second best in the film. <laughs> right. And this is obviously the best scene in the film. <laughs> no <Okay>. way. <laughs> Melina just appearing out the lift with a machine gun already cocked makes no sense no. at all. <laughs> but the fight, I love the fight. It was choreographed by Vic Armstrong, the legendary stuntman who worked on Raiders. Yeah, yeah. Raiders, yeah. Yeah, and Verhoeven made the bold claim that this is the first time in film history the two women had a proper fight, not a cat fight. I mean, right. I'm not sure about that, but it's brilliant. Yeah. I love it when Arnold shoots a knife out of Laurie's hand and she flips instantly back to being charming, sweet Laurie. Yeah, yeah. Vaughan said it was that specific moment that convinced him to cast Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct, right. and it is brilliant. Mm. I think the whole yeah. six or seven minutes from Edgemore arriving at Arnold's room to consider that a divorce is all genuinely brilliant. It's like James Cameron. <laughs> wow. <laughs> if James Cameron was a crazy Dutchman, he'd make scenes like this. <laughs> right. Okay. James Van Cameron. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine Verhoeven's version of Titanic now. <laughs> <laughs> imagine that. That would be worth watching for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you mentioned the classic line, consider that a divorce. So the co-writer Dan O'Bannon said, then the original script, Quaid said, consider this a divorce, mm. and then shot Laurie, right. which to me is classic Arnold, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> you know, brilliant. But then they said... We'll change it on the set because it was too cold-blooded considering everything he's done up <laughs> yeah. to this point. That's too cold-blooded. Oh, too far. <laughs> that, that's too far. Let's put it in after. Consider the divorce. And Rachel Tacordon plays Melina, but there was two others who Verhoeven considered as well. Okay. They were Alexandra Paul, who played Connie Swale in Dragnet. Oh, yeah. Oh, the Virgin, Virgin Connie Swale, yeah. And Nicole Kidman. Oh, great. Oh, yeah. Good. Stone and Kidman punching seven bells out yeah. of each other. Well, that would have been some sight. That would have been great. And Tom Cruise is the leader. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah obviously. <laughs> I think the only bad thing is the fact that Laurie gets killed. Mm-hmm. The yeah. film's definitely worse for it afterwards for me. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I think anyone else. I would have wanted to see more fights like this on a bigger scale. Matt obviously didn't, but it's mine. <laughs> He's happy she's dead. Well, one down, five to go. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the end of the middle. Edgemar is gone, which is no loss. No. And so are Mary and Laurie, which definitely is. Mm-hmm. But the question, can it get any more crazy? I think it can. Mm. Let's go and see. The crew. A lot of the Total Recall cast were already familiar to Paul Verhoeven. The same can be said of the crew, and that's who we're talking about now. The unforgettable visuals and the musical input from Jerry Goldsmith are both up for discussion. Before all that, the writing. Right. Mm-hmm. So there are three credited screenwriters on Total Recall, Ronald Shusset, Dan O'Bannon and Gary Goldman. Mm-hmm. O'Bannon and Shusset are well known for writing an even bigger science fiction classic. Yep. One we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Yep. Alien. Alien. And Gary Gorman's biggest writing credit at this point was Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, so amazing. Together at last. Yeah, that's what you <laughs> that's want. That's why this makes perfect <laughs> fucking sense. Big Alien in Little China. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how was the writing on Total Recall, Westy? Fantastic stuff, isn't it? I mean, is there any writing in it? <laughs> Big Trouble on Little Mars. <laughs> I don't know, considering that, that you know, she said, oh, Bannon went on to, to get this they crafted a screenplay out of it and then they went oh that's not going to work it's going to be too expensive right I'll tell you what we'll do Alien <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah I know <laughs> so you'll do that and then came back to this so this was like the the project they really wanted to do and Alien was just kind of like oh we well, might as well I think it kind of shows as well how much Ridley Scott brought to Alien <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly because <laughs> for them their writing is just like this might have happened yeah. in there, and it's just <laughs> such a visual film 
and it thinks it's far more intelligent than it really is. And if you've read Philip K. Dick's <laughs> story, which I have, that's a real kind of a, emotional study of how unhappy you can be in your life and you're just dreaming it away for something else that's completely unreachable. Yeah. And I think K. Dick had that level of genius in all of his writing. And I'll say this and I'll put my neck on the line. Yeah, we'll go. <laughs> I don't really think Philip K. Dick's, the way that he writes, I don't think anyone's visualised what he's tried to say on an emotional level. Nobody's got that mm, at all. Right. Everything has this lamination above it. Nobody's been able to nail it. Like Blade Runner is nowhere near as good as the novel in that level of mm. that emotion that it's trying to hit. It, it's, it takes the idea and runs with it. Minority Report takes the idea mm. and runs with it. This takes the idea and runs with it. To say the writing's great on Total Recall is incorrect. To say the idea is great for Total Recall <laughs> is absolutely spot on. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to get into, I think, with the writing. The concept yeah. does obviously come from Philip K. Dick that we'll talk about, but then the film takes the narrative off in all kinds of new places. That's what I mean, just too many spins. Mm. Yeah, not just physically with Mars, but thematically as well. I do think the narrative is good, but a better idea than it is executed for me. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really engaging when it's all about Arnold's memory resurfacing, going on the run, finding yeah. out his Cohagen's operative. It's like a science fiction North by Northwest. Great. Yeah. yeah. The final act, though, the quality of the storytelling drops a lot for me. One of the reasons is killing off Laurie, like I mentioned, but also the whole aliens thing. Yeah. The film starts off being about memory and then flips to be about aliens. Mm-hmm. It's a big mm-hmm. thematic jump that the film just doesn't pull off. I mean, pretty ironic that a movie revolving about memory seems to forget what it's about at the end. Yeah. 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 But also, the film misses some huge opportunities for me thematically. I think it completely unintentionally raises some potentially great questions, but doesn't even realise. I mean, there's a potential theme of memories and identity and how our identities are constructed. The fact that once Cohagen takes away Arnold's memories, he turns into a totally different guy mm. is interesting. Gives a possibility of a nature versus nurture argument. How much are we a product mm-hmm. of our experiences? It's there to be explored, but the film doesn't care. No. Also, the whole Quaid and Hauser dual persona raises a potential moral question. Mm-hmm. They're essentially two different guys. So who has yeah. the right to Arnold's body? Hauser gave it up with the intention of getting it back, but now Quaid has it, he wants to keep it. Some potential there for an interesting ethical dilemma, but mm-hmm. the film doesn't care. Yeah. I mean, it's probably no. unfair to be critical for that because they're not even trying to do any of that stuff. <laughs> no, but, but they could. That's yeah, the point. point. That's the recipe. They could. You know, what, what are you going to make? The recipe's there. All the yeah. ingredients are there. I think what the film does get right in the writing is the one-liners. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Possibly Arnold's best one-liner <laughs> film. <laughs> Arnold manages to get one-liners out of things that aren't even one-liners. Yeah. Give these people air. The delivery of that line is nothing short of extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe that with all the mentions of Mars, Venus, Saturn, they didn't get an Arnold gag in there about Uranus, but I can live with it. <laughs> I bet you they yeah. did that and cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, there is some good things in the writing, but there's some big missed opportunities as well, I think. Mm. Yeah, I think all the way through it. I think before I die, I'm going to put it on this podcast. That I want to see all of Verhoeven's early cuts of every <laughs> film he's ever done. That's it. Just nobody speak to us on my deathbed, just watching all of them. <laughs> what a way to go. I'll be like, that's me, done. Yeah. Wake us up to make sure it's not a dream. <laughs> Fucking yes, dead. <laughs> yeah, I think I agree with you a lot, John. It's, it's just very shallow, like... I mentioned some things already that are there and they're on screen, but there's no follow through with them. You know, Richter having to live with the fact that Laurie is sleeping with another man for their job. How does he feel about it? How does she feel about it? It's just, you get maybe one line each and it's just shrugged off. I mean, Quaid's whole revelation that his life has been a lie. 
that should hit like a sledgehammer, but again, just mm, gets shrugged yeah. off next scene. And I don't think Verhoeven is interested in going back to the writing and bringing it out more. And it goes beyond the characters, you know. You could really blur the lines between is this reality or is it a dream? What are the ramifications of escaping reality to just live in a dream? doesn't mm. really explore that yeah. either. And then it, it kind of ties in with your saying about the last third of the film, you know, this whole capitalist exploitation going on and there's a revolution happening and both these stories are getting broadcast to the masses but again it's just surface level doesn't really explore that either and this is so much potential here to bring real weight and substance to this film loads loads yeah. and it may not be there in the actual writing but Verhoeven hasn't pushed for it to be there either he hasn't gone back to them and said actually could we emphasize this could we bring yeah. this out more which he could have done but I don't think he's got that in him. He's no, he not, doesn't. He's very, he's very broad strokes. He, is, yeah. he will not paint a room with a fine brush. He'll yeah. use a roller, yeah. everything. But like doing Robocop. Robocop is Jesus Christ. Bang. That's it. That's Verhoeven. That's it. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah. Just lots of missed opportunities, I think. Philip K. Dick's story, We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, was published in 1966, which is phenomenal for me. That's just mm. incredible foresight. And Ronald Schutte bought the rights in 1974. Brought in his writing pal, Dan O'Bannon, and they fleshed it out into a screenplay, but the studios weren't having it, though I told it was too unfilmable, which I could imagine if it's <laughs> like that scale at that time. They moved on to writing Alien instead. Ah, oh, might as well. <laughs> <laughs> and when that was a huge hit, Disney optioned the script, but it never went anywhere because they also said it was unfilmable, which mm. too expensive. Why the buyer then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the off chance, I don't know. <laughs> And I know that by the time Verhoeven came in, the script had passed through Disney, Dino De Laurentiis, Cronenberg, Bruce mm. Beresford, like we mentioned, and there'd already yeah. been 40 drafts of the screenplay written. Wow. One of those drafts apparently had a big twist where Arnold finds out he's really an alien in disguise. Right. <laughs> which sounds crazy. Well, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it was Verhoeven who brought in Gary Gorman to do some rewrites and said that after those 40 drafts, the script basically ended up back at draft one. <laughs> Time well spent then. Yeah. No wonder it cost yeah. so much. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to go there to come back. <laughs> As there always is, there's some big differences between we can remember it for you wholesale and what we get on screen. And one of the first changes is, is the title. The change to the Total Recall, uh, Ronald Trusset did, and the script was then called out through every draft since. Yeah, the original short story is only 19 or 20 pages long, and right. there's no mutants, no alien reactor, no Melina, no Benny, no vagina face, nothing. Basically so, yeah. everything past the first act of the film was written specifically for the movie. Right. Yeah, it was the idea that was born. Yeah. It was a magazine article, wasn't it? It was, it was, it was written in a sci-fi magazine at the time. Pulp magazine, yeah. something like that, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. okay. And another change is in the story, it's Douglas Quayle, not Quaid, and he isn't a construction worker either, he's an office clerk. Sounds like Brazil. <laughs> it does, it yeah. does. Yeah. <laughs> but that change was obviously made when Arnold came in. Yeah. The Austrian Oak as an office clerk, his cover <laughs> yeah. would have been blown immediately. <laughs> yeah. Amazing, be like Mr. Incredible when he's typing on the computer, <laughs> 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 building out the office. <laughs> And something else we haven't touched on massively as yet is the ambiguity of the film. Mm, right. The narrative plays out as if what we see is real, but it's hinted at quite a few times that it might not be, and that mm. what we're watching is basically the play out of the memories Arnold buys from yeah. Recall, yeah. the secret agent package. What are your thoughts on that? Are we watching reality or Arnold's fake memories? I think it's played that way so that it's a safety net. It was played for the ambiguity. It mm. was played to be, you make your own mind up, mm. we don't give a shit. And it wasn't a mystery. 
It's not like, you know, Inception, where Nolan's like, I'm not telling mm. you. You make your own mind up. Ooh. Mm. It's it's them going, yeah, it was supposed to be like that. Yeah, yeah we did it on purpose, where that can be a dream and that could be real and that couldn't be. So just make, just doesn't matter. It's, that's ambiguity in cinema. Just deal with it. It's like it's Verhoeven being really heavy-handed with something that's supposed to be really mysterious, <laughs> a very Obviously, light touch, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's just punching you in the face with ambiguity. It's genius. He's laughing in the face of it being ambiguous. Really, yeah. I do like a bit of ambiguity. So this is a good part of the writing for me. So if this theory of us watching Arnold's memories is correct, then everything we see up to Arnold visiting Recall is real. Mm. The first thing which is a memory is where McLean, the slippery Recall salesman, is in the office with the girl and he gets called into the operation theatre where Arnold's going, ah, 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 <laughs> in the chair. Blow my cover. That's the one. <laughs> so the big hints that what we're watching isn't real are when McLean sells a secret agent package to Arnold in the first act, he describes the memories and basically tells us the story of the film. Mm. You're a top operative undercover, people are trying to kill you left and right, you get the girl, kill the bad guys and save the planet. Yeah. Then when Arnold goes to get the procedure, we see a picture of the girl on the screen and it's Melina. It's Melina. Mm. Yeah, blatantly. It doesn't look like Melina, it actually is Melina. Yeah, like, yeah it's not like out of focus. No. Yeah. It's not a brunette. Yeah. No, no, yeah. it's actually yeah. A, yeah. in the same fucking clothes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah. And then when Arnold's threatening to shoot Dr. Edgemar in the scene we talked about, Edgemar says if Arnold shoots him, the walls of reality will come crashing down right before yeah. Richter's men mm. come in through the walls. Mm-hmm. He says Arnold will believe himself the saviour of the resistance only to discover he's Cohagen's bosom buddy and he have visions of an alien civilization he does shoot Edgemore and those things all then happen in the film yeah, yeah. so the ambiguity it's there intentionally like you say Westy for me when I watch it I tend to watch it as if it's all real mm. but it works either way I think it does and then when he's actually recalling this, at the start he's like lost luggage freaky cab drivers yeah you know, all that happens because he doesn't have any luggage and that's why he's questioned and then obviously there's Benny gets involved it happens as it as it goes and I think Bowman's just having a lot of fun with it oh definitely yeah, I think I agree. Like, honestly, I, I don't think the film kind of deserves this kind of, like, analysis. Like, <laughs> this level of <laughs> dream is reality. Like, what a put Well, it, it doesn't work hard enough at it. It's not like Inceptionary. Like, oh, is does Cobb have his wedding ring on or not? Does that mean, is, is that his dream? Or is that yeah. the reality? Is the spinning top going to stop at the end? Or cut to black? Have to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> but the point is, he doesn't care. I know he doesn't care. I know he doesn't care. <laughs> That's obvious he doesn't care. <laughs> I mean, like even Minority Report does it better. You know, Tom Cruise gets put in the freezer, so is that last third just his happy ending of how he'd like the case to be solved as he's yeah. sent down? This just, it's like, yeah, it can be reality. It can be fake. It can be whatever you want. You know, we're going to stick a line in at the end just to hammer it home. Oh, what if this is all a dream? Oh, you'd better kiss me then. There you go. <laughs> So the writing on Total Recall, there's a lot going on. A big narrative, some big themes, some huge one-liners, and some ambiguity. Mm. I mean, that sounds awesome. And we like some of it. <laughs> some ambiguity. <laughs> We're moving on to the music now, and the composer on Total Recall was a well-known industry name in Jerry Goldsmith. Yep. By this point, he'd already worked on big films like Planet of the Apes, Patton, Papillon, Alien, Star Trek, Poltergeist, First Blood, and Gremlins, among others. Mm-hmm. So what the heck is he doing here, Westy? <laughs> God knows. <laughs> but what he does here is a great job, I'll tell you that much. Mm-hmm. The music here really elevates the film. Yeah. 
Goldsmith has taken this far more seriously than Verhoeven <laughs> and Schwarzenegger and everyone else involved. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe apart from Rob Bottin. I think Bottin and Goldsmith are hand in hand going, let's do something we won't be proud yeah. of there. I don't give a fuck about anyone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think the score's great. I, I, I think the theme, there's a theme to it. I think the tune is memorable. It's mm. got this real kind of pounding energy to it that it really elevates the fight sequences i don't normally like music and fight sequences but this for me really elevates them sequences and, and makes you take it seriously because there's so much in this film to not take take seriously <laughs> and i think goldsmith does a really good job of just ignoring the whole film and maybe just pausing it and going is this what the scene is kind of about right well there's there's a theme for it because I'm going to, you know, deliver the best that I possibly can. But it's it's big, it's brooding. I think the opening credits are fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the graphics coming in, you're just like, right, okay, <laughs> boom. It's huge. It's very reminiscent of Alien in that, in that sense, when that goes big. Mm. But it can also go really small and really intimate. Not that there's much of that here, but what he does is really elevate the film. Again, he just adds this gravitas to it. He adds this real sophistication to it and this real energy and you kind of think, oh, this was a really expensive film. And then when you watch it now, you think, probably because of the music. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think, like, Sharon Stone, Rob Bottini, and Jerry Goldsmith are all making a different film to Verhoeven and Arnold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking of crew, but yeah, I would definitely put Sharon Stone in there as well. I read an interview with Jerry Goldsmith where he said he felt this is one of his best scores, mm. which I was a bit surprised at considering some of I'm not surprised, mm. you know, if you, yeah. if you single it out as, yeah. a, as a theme of like opening credits, it's fucking massive. Yeah, I like it as well. I feel like he's channeling some other people a bit as well. The percussion heavy intro we played at the start, that's good. And reminiscent of the Terminator theme for Terminator, me a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's times when I feel like he's taking inspiration from John Williams, specifically Star Wars, for some of the chase scenes. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. some of the musical cues really remind me of Alan Silvestri on stuff like Back to the Future. Back yeah. the Future. Yeah, I do feel like it's missing like a killer main theme like mm. all those other films have but on the whole I mean in terms of giving Verhoeven what he needs to set a tone of tension or action Goldsmith can do that in his sleep at this point mm. oh yeah definitely and he just does a really good job of it here yeah. I also yeah. like the recall jingle we hear on the advert near the start yeah yeah <laughs> that's yeah. really good recall yeah. recall recall very nice I also feel a bit sorry for Jerry Goldsmith because he, he's done all these amazing scores. But he's in the year of John Williams, so I think he still gets a bit overlooked. It's like, yeah, you know, he's, he's fantastic. He is fantastic, he's fantastic, but I think people are, oh, he's, he's a bit of like, you know, carbon copy John Williams, which I think is unfair. Uh, but yeah, I like what he does here. And for me, it is all about that opening credit music. I was like, oh, that's yeah. good. That's a proper good, like, indoor bit of music. The rest of it, I'm, I'm, I would kind of struggle to remember it too much, but I think what he does is, is good overall, but it's definitely the opening credit that sticks in my head. When you say you felt sorry for Jerry Goldsmith, I thought you meant on this film. Well, I, well that goes without saying, let's be honest. <laughs> I think Matt felt sorry for everyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so... The music on Total Recall, not among Jerry Goldsmith's very best work, perhaps, but that's a high bar. And the music here is good? It I is. think it is, yeah. yeah. It's, very good. it's memorable for me. From audio to the visual, and as we've been talking about, some of the visuals in Total Recall are very memorable. Mm. Yeah. There were a lot of people contributed to that in terms of cinematographers, visual effects houses, design studios. So how do the visuals work for you, Wesley? The visuals work for me on every aspect of a Verhoeven film because I think Joss Vacano worked on him on, on like I'd say the trilogy that I adore anyway with Robocop, 
Starship Troopers, this. Yeah. He also did Das Boot, which mm, I think yeah, revolutionised yeah. a lot on Das Boot. And he had this handheld camera, and he revolutionised the Steadicam in his own way. Mm. And that's really prevalent in Robocop, and it's really prevalent here, where it's just these chase sequences, and you don't notice this shaky handheld camera. It all has a production value. Everything has a production value. Everything has a sheen to it. Everything has a, a frame to it. Everything works. Mm. And I think he he's really should be sectioned out as one of the guys who's like right Verhoeven wants this and he's big and he's brash but he's going to go right I'm your brackets and I can say you can do this much because your cinema screen's only so big <laughs> and I'm in charge of that and whatever happens in there right you, you're in charge of the content but I'm in charge of how that content moves and I've got to make people believe that and it could be staccato it could be ridiculous it could be very cartoonish it could be very Tom and Jerry it could be very slapstick and he's got to work with the editor really well, which he which he does on every single film because every single film has to be cut down, like I said, about 10%. So he's got to know what's coming. He's got to give Verhoeven that space to do all this crazy shit, but he's got to make it believable. And like we've said, you mentioned North by Northwest. There's a scene in this where you've got Mars framed in the background and he's walking through that kind of cafe and it's exactly the same as North by Northwest. Mm-hmm. It looks exactly oh, the same yeah, when you've yeah. got Mount Rushmore in the background yeah. of that whole yeah. sequence. And it looks the same. The frames are the same. All the production design's the same. The camera angle's the same. And it's home going, yeah, do that. There's a lot of low angles and this. And, you know, like Newman and the, the Doctor are framed like that. You go, And he's got to, like, fucking do that. Where Verhoeven's lost his mind. He's like, fucking more explosions. He's like, nah, well, I'm going to frame it like this. And he needs more credit for that. So Josh Vicano, for me, should be a name that everybody knows when they talk about Verhoeven because he's 50% of what makes him a success. Yeah. What I would say is that with a $65 million budget, Total Recall was the second most expensive film ever made at the time, after Rambo 3. And to me, this does not look like the second most expensive <laughs> film ever made. <laughs> it probably did in 1990, though. If you went to the cinema to watch this, it would have blown your fucking mind. I told you I thought it was the best film ever made when I saw it for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> On the cinema, you'd still not go up the opening shots of Mars I mentioned at the top, they still look really good, I think. And then when we yeah. get our asses to Mars, the establishing shot we get is of the like processing facility in the train, and we see a couple of astronauts as well. That's excellent, that. Mm. A bit of a yeah. 2001 influence there, I yeah, think. Yeah. In and the spacesuits, especially. Definitely, yeah. But I like how the film occasionally promises us these beautifully composed shots, and then apart from the promises, doesn't really try to deliver on it. No. <laughs> I think the internal sets built for Mars are way over lit, and they just look like sets. To me, yeah. the best shots are the ones of the miniatures. The vision that Quarto gives Arnold at the end when we move through the miniature of the alien reactor mm. and the frame rate speeds up and down. Brilliant, that. I think they might have used up half the budget just on that one shot. Definitely influence on Lord of the Rings because that does the same thing. Yeah, it does, yeah, yeah, yeah. And something which seems to have passed the filmmakers by, Mars is not really red. I mean, it's red to us, 240 million miles away, yeah. but not when you're standing on it. <laughs> the sky isn't red. Here, everything's red. <laughs> you can say from experience, John, can you? Is this your Star Trek experience or just your actual real-life experience? I've seen the pictures from the rover. <laughs> oh, there you are. Seen the Martian, wasn't red in the Martian. Red rover, red rover, let John go on over. <laughs> <laughs> so there are some great visuals for sure. Though I would say I don't think this is quite as well shot as Robocop, which Jasper Corno and Verhoeven also worked on together. Yeah, it's not as well shot, but to think about shooting that Mexico like City sequence, mm-hmm. he's got to overlight that whole place so that it does look kind of unreal. Mm. That part looks good, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm going to talk about uh, Rob Bortain because I'm a big fan of... Someone's got to. Someone's got to, and I'm a big fan of Ollie Brinks <laughs> here. You know, it's pure Bortain. You know, all the mutant design. It is. The fat lady disguise. 
I think the only issue for me is if you compare this to what he does in the thing is how it's being shot and lit. You know, the thing it's, it's shot in shadow and it's, it's dark, it's dark yeah. and it doesn't hold on on the kind of creature designs too long. So you can cut away this. It, I think I agree with you, John. It, it's overlit all the stuff on Mars. It makes it look just a little bit cheap. It makes it look a bit like mm. that's probably what it looks like in the workshop. And I imagine yeah. all the stuff from the thing looks the same in the workshop, but the lid differently in the thing. So yeah. It, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, it's a shame because the work itself is, is great. It's how it's been, oh, which is the issue for me. But what I really like is all the model work. I love that shot of um, the ship arriving at Dokken at Mars with Doug on it. I think that was great. Really like that. Mm. And that shot when he's in the transporter looking out the window at Mars and then it pulls back and it's just moving Brilliant. through the landscape. Brilliant. Absolutely loved that. So yeah, good work all around by Bortine. It's just I wish it'd been lit a bit better. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, tragically as well, this is probably the last film or last big film that used miniatures. Would have yeah, been, yeah. To this yeah. extent, yeah. To this extent, to yeah. This extent yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the visual effects, I think, is where the budget went because mm-hmm. the effects teams were huge. Rob Bortine and his crew are credited as providing the makeup special effects. Ron Cobb, who worked on Alien and Back to the Future, designed the vehicles and the rest of the effects were handled by DreamQuest headed by Eric Brevig's visual effects supervisor. So DreamQuest created and oversaw all the miniatures. And that shot you mentioned, Matt, mm. on the train, mm. when the camera moves out of the carriage and away over the mountains, mm. it's a miniature, but we can still see Arnold in the window. Yeah. It's like movie magic, that. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They did that by creating three scales of miniature to make the landscape look huge. They filmed that shot of Arnold and then played it on a small screen that was only about six or seven inches. Mm. And then they right. put that screen inside the miniature and then filmed the whole thing so it's wow. in real time. Ah, Looks yeah. brilliant. It, does. it was going to be cut because of the cost until Arnold stepped in. Obviously. <laughs> he did. <laughs> and convinced the studio to do it. Brilliant shot, that. Mm-hmm. The effects on the film as well broke new ground, which we know about. I mean, photorealistic effects mm-hmm. never were really believable or to the point where can we continue with this? And I think this is one of the first films that did it. I mean, the scenes where Quaid goes through the full body scan, you know, the skeletons. Yeah, yeah, yeah early form of CGI effects, which looked great. They planned to do it all on computer, but the software didn't work properly. So they had to rotoscope animate some of it instead. So they rotoscoped everything to like them wearing these mm. suits with little points on them yeah. and then animated it like by hand, which is fucking mental. Painstaking, yeah. Mm. yeah. They look really good. Those yeah. x-ray animated skeletons. The bit when he jumps out mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. You can't, you, you, I don't buy it. And then you're like, oh, he turns to the yeah. camera and then jumps mm. out. You're like, I buy it from that yeah. point, yeah. yeah. The CGI supervisor was Tim McGovern, and he said that when they did the rotoscoping, they had to ask Arnold to put a tennis ball in his head, so they had a marker to animate against. He said that Arnold was really suspicious, and he did it, but all the while was eyeballing McGovern while puffing on a huge cigar. (laughs) (laughs) It would look like a ping pong ball on Arnold. Arnold, can you wear this bowling ball so that it looks like a tennis ball? For their work on Total Recall, Rob Bortine, Eric Brevig, Tim McGovern and Alex Funk, who was the special effects photographer, received a special achievement award at the Oscars. That's oh, right. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Deserve recognition, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that get that means they get the award before the award's announced, right? Yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what, and Toy Story was the only other one to do that. Yeah. Oh, wow. After. Yeah. Yeah. Good company then. Mm. Definitely. So some big talent working on Total Recall, some who had worked with Verhoeven before, some who hadn't, but all across the board, and especially in the visual effects department, some very good people Mm -hmm. working on the film. Yeah. And probably will never again. Yeah. (laughs) The end. If possible, the final act of Total Recall ramps up the crazy even further than we've seen so far. 
just a bit. <laughs> We're going to be talking about the climactic terraforming of Mars, but first, we've got business with a couple of mutants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, on escaping the last resort, Melina takes Arnold and Benny to meet Resistance leader George, a.k.a. Quarto. In the scenes that follow, <laughs> we see Benny double-cross Arnold, the Resistance wiped out, and Quarto killed, swiftly followed by Benny. There's only one man can make sense of all this, and it's not me or Westy. Matt, what's going Definitely. on? Matt! <laughs> Matt! <laughs> John, you just need to open your mind, and it's all going to make sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, um... For anyone who hasn't seen us on YouTube, Matt looks a little bit like Quarter. <laughs> <laughs> Which bit? <laughs> all of it. He looks great. I think, like we've mentioned already, but I think once we move away from the what's a dream, what isn't, into this whole mutant revolution thing it, it starts to fall apart a bit and i do struggle to kind of maintain the same level in interest and so then you get to the scene where benny reveals himself as the traitor and he's been using doug to get a quarter it's it's one of those scenes that i mentioned in the right and like any kind of revelation like that should have a big impact and it should come out of the blue and it should be like oh my god i didn't see that coming but it just doesn't here i just kind of went right okay I mean, I'll be honest, I don't really like the performance of Mel Johnson Jr. here as Benny. I don't think he's very good. All right, okay, right. Just the character, like, turning up at every possible opportunity and then gets taken along for the ride. I mean, that's either really sloppy writing, that he just happens to be there when the story needs him to be there, or he's clearly not to be trusted. And I think those close-ups just completely give the game away that, you know, he's going to be a bad guy and he's going to turn on them. Yeah. Like I say, I think if the performance was better, if the character was better written, I'd care a bit more and I'd feel a bit of shock at this development, but I don't really. And I think killing mm. Quarto, okay, that's effective. Maybe didn't see that coming because he's been built up as this whole saviour of Mars. And that shot of Richter plugging him one last time in the head, that's really unpleasant. That's really yeah, awful, really awful. <laughs> but yeah, I just think this scene, this whole bit, I just feel like we're marking time a little bit to get to the end. But I would say my favourite thing is that we do get the build-up to Benny's death where you get, you know, an absolutely classic Arnie one-liner there. Screw you. <laughs> <laughs> he put so much effort into that line. Oh, it's extraordinary. <laughs> extraordinary. How he didn't win the Oscar, don't know. <laughs> Originally, apparently, we saw more of Benny's death and saw his guts spilling out, but the MPAA complained, so it was cut. <laughs> of course we did. I think that's why he gets such a delivery, because I think Arnold knows that that's going to be something massive, Yeah, and then it's all cut out. <laughs> <laughs> and even by Paul Verhoeven and Total Recall standards, Quarto is mental. What is it? Jesus Christ. So memorable, yeah. though. It's so memorable. That reveal where it looks a little bit like George is playing with himself, and... <laughs> Does Quado remind anybody else of Krang, of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Oh, obviously, yeah. <laughs> he exactly was like the same. a brain in the belly of this big automaton body. Same oh, yeah. thing. Yeah, exactly the same. <laughs> I know that it took 15 puppeteers to work Quado, and the actor Marshall Bell wore a chest plate that apparently took six hours to put on, and it was Marshall Bell who did the voice of Quado as well as George. Right. And I yeah. mean, narratively, Quarto's out of there as soon as he's in there. Mm-hmm. Same with the resistance, so it's all a bit pointless. Yeah. But the practical effects work from the Robbo team crew again mm-hmm. is the highest level. And again, totally mental. Yeah. So the name Quarto, that comes from the Spanish word Quarte, which means twin. And the animatronic yes. was so realistic that Rob Bortina said he was approached by two separate people on the street. One asked him, is Marshall Bell a real freak? Which, bit <laughs> hard. And the other asked if he was a semi-born Siamese twin. 
And Marshall Bell <laughs> said that in the script, it wasn't made clear what the relationship between George and Quarto was. So he thought he'd been cast in two completely separate roles. Right. I mean, what is Quarto and George's <laughs> relationship? <laughs> and wasn't, wasn't Marshall Bell in Twins? <laughs> Was he? He's in Twins, yeah. He's the bad guy in Twins. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what's going on with Quarto? Is he just hidden in the George's court all the time? Is he yes. asleep down there? Or is he just in the dark? He's kind of ingested. He's like, you know, where sumo wrestlers ingest the balls inside. <laughs> it's kind of like that. And I think because, you know, when he, t- he Marshall Bell does that horrible face where he looks up and he's, he's jaw going one way yeah. he's kind of like ah, 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 ah. he's kind of given birth to him I guess yeah, it's, it's really weird I don't know it's definitely weird it's, so weird. it's really weird but I love it it's, it's really 2000 AD for me it's almost like it's not being thought through but it can't be that no surely not <laughs> so as Matt said Benny was played by Mel Johnson Jr. And he won the part because Verhoeven showed all the final auditions for Benny to his two teenage daughters as they were the kind of target market, the demographic he was going for. <laughs> what? <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe, I guess. Wow. And they picked out Johnson as the one they liked the best. Oh, my God. So, you know, as it is. Okay, well, maybe explains it. I read in the interview with Mel Johnson Jr. where he said, before Total Recall, he just auditioned for a really bad black exploitation kind of a film. Right. And then when he got the Total Recall script, it described Benny as a black jivester. <laughs> <laughs> and he threw the script across the room in disgust. And then audition yeah, for it. <laughs> I can do that. Hey, man. <laughs> he, said, yeah. he said that when he read the full script, he thought it was a great part. <laughs> yeah, the bit where we're, we're seeing it again, and it, it's really clever, this, because it bookends what we've, early, what we've seen earlier in the mm. film, and it happens again, and we're like, oh, well, this does this make sense? Mm. Is this recall again? And, oh, Melina's involved now, and Doug's involved now, and, oh, right, but Richter's there, <laughs> oh, right, and Cohagen's there, and, oh, they're going to run out of air. Oh, fuck them, then. Okay, <laughs> yeah. fine, is that it? <laughs> what, what do you want us to do? Don't do anything. Fuck them. Oh, have a lesson to the rest of them. But that's the only ones we know. Who's the rest of them? How many more people are on Mars? What is going on? Like, he's just shut down Sector G or whatever it is. It's like the Simpsons. It's like he's Homer in charge of Mars. <laughs> but this, this bit is almost like, if you watch the recall bit again, it seems more serious. This seems more dreamlike. But you get a really good turn from my inside here as the absolute bastard. And he's like, is he going to remember this? Mm. Unlikely. And then punches him in the yeah. face. And he's like, yeah. we're having a party later on. Remind him. Yeah. And I love that. And that kind of callback with seeing mm. at the party right now is great. That's the most baddy turn of the whole film. Mm. And another great Verhoeven move is when he gets the arm constraint. Sonani's so strong. Nothing's going to hold him down <laughs> fucking ever. Right, is this the dream now? Of we're seeing it and it's twisting again. Is it this clever? No, it's not, but just enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, at the start when Arnold and Melina are strapped into the chairs, Arnold's grimaces as the procedure starts are yeah. outstanding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the classic bad guy moment as well, where the villains basically go, well, nothing can possibly go wrong here, and just leave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's brilliant. It's really James Bond, isn't it? I expect you to die. Though yeah. <laughs> no, I do love it when they walk out of the room and Ronnie Cox's Cohagen does this like two-handed point to signify the leaving. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, like Nixon, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's like, I'm not a crook. Yeah. yeah. But as ever, it's all about Arnold. Firstly, the best line delivery ever. Give these people air. 
manages to get two <laughs> syllables out of the word air somehow. Air, yeah. <laughs> and then Arnold just killing all the scientists. Surely these guys are just doing the jobs yeah. and probably think they're doing the right thing by bringing back Hauser's memories and Arnold just brutally murders them. <laughs> probably, if he takes his time, these guys could really help him. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. Stabs him through the neck, stabs him in the head. <laughs> Yeah. It's <laughs> and violence at its best. Glorious. Yeah. It's like Braveheart. <laughs> yeah. This was another sequence the MPA cut down. Verhoeven said that we originally saw a lot more. So that's a pity. I'd love to see that version. That's what I mean. Put us on my deathbed, man. I want to see all this shit. <laughs> Time for our final Patreon question now. It's about recall and it comes from Brian J. Lemieux. Hello, Brian. Oh, Brian. So Brian asks, what destination would each of you choose if you had a virtual holiday implanted in your brain? Mm. So recall, if it existed, what are you getting done there, Westy? You'd love it, wouldn't you? Go on holiday without leaving the house. Exactly. At this point, anyway, fucking quiet. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'd be like the New York scene in the 70s. Lovely. Mm. You know, it'd just be like that punk scene and know that nothing bad's going to happen to mm. you. You're not going to get shot, you know, you're not in that. But like kind of the taxi driver kind of era. What Scorsese experienced when he made Mean Streets. Mm. I think I'd like to experience that kind of vibe and just be part of it and everyone thinks I'm cool. <laughs> I think that's, that's what I'd, I'd really, I'd, I'd really enjoy that and I'd pay good money for that. Well, I think the film has it pretty much right. And I getting beaten up by Sharon Stone has to be up there. <laughs> <laughs> But away from the film, I've always had a thing about visiting the future. So I'd go for a trip to the year 2525, like right. Zager and Evans, as a secret agent, though, as well, okay. obviously. Obviously. But imagine secret agents are killed immediately in 2525. <laughs> <laughs> Just my oh, luck. Oh, shit, I didn't know about that. <laughs> I think I've also going to the moon would be really cool to be one of the few people to, to have done that, to have walked on there, to be able to look down on Earth. You... Armstrong, Wallace and Gromit. Ryan Gosling. <laughs> uh, you know, all the big names in there. If it was something earthbound now, I'd go back to the 60s, go see the Beatles live. I'd love to have that memory before they've obviously stopped doing that and would just say album band. What, you got You got like Hamburg? Oh, yeah, Hamburg, Hamburg days. But actually, yeah, I'll do that. I'll go there with you. Not together, but we'll, we'll experience <laughs> you're, you're on the other <laughs> side of the stage. <laughs> yeah. It's all going off then. <laughs> Benny and Quarto are gone, and Arnold has ruthlessly dispatched a bunch of helpless scientists. <laughs> Now, Rick Darren Cohagen's turn, isn't it? It is, and we're on a two-man stag. <laughs> <laughs> into the final scenes of the film now was the gang head into the half-a-million-year-old alien reactor. In the final scenes, we see Arnold V. Richter, Arnold V. Cohagen, then Arnold save the day by activating the reactor. Mm. I was going to say, see you at the party, Westie. But that's never going to happen, is it? <laughs> no, it's a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, how is the climax, Westy? Oh, I mean, it just gets ridiculous now. I mean, we've said that in every yeah. bit, and how's this bit now? Now it gets ridiculous. <laughs> but it's like Quaid and Quaid and Molina and Molina versus everybody. And it's just a lovely call back to this hologram watch where you kind of yeah. go, when's this going to make yeah, an appearance? Yeah. yeah. And it does. And it's so fucking entertaining. But it's so confusing at the same time. Anyone can wear mm. it, right? So your hologram is supposed to be directly in front of you. So you've got to be somewhere next to it. 
and they don't give a shit about the physics of it no, or the no. science behind it at all. <laughs> so imagine if Nolan had done it, it would be like half an hour, this sequence. And it's like, no, let's just simplify. It's like Sesame Street with a hologram. It's fantastic. But I think the, the CGI work here, and I think that the way that that's done and the photorealism of it. Yeah, it's good. And the way, the way it glitches and everything else, it's totally believable. Yeah. And then you've got Richter on the lift and a bit of fisticuffs. And that's it. So you get the party, right there, arms <laughs> off. You know what's going to happen a mile away. It's a great showdown. And yeah, I mean, it's just exactly what you expect from the end of the film. And I love it. I know that Richter's men were played by real sailors and marines from the San Diego Naval Base. Not that it shows, because they're worse than useless. <laughs> no, but I think they're having a great time being useless. They're having a great time just getting blasted yeah. all over the place. Couldn't hit a cow's ass with a banjo, these guys. <laughs> I mean, on laughing in a film is always a joy. And we get a great one here yeah. when he uses the hologram device. Yeah. And I mean, by this point, it's all gone a bit rubbish for me. Mm. It's not about anything no. anymore. It's great, though. It's so entertaining. The fight on the elevator is good, and a good way to go for Richter. All left to standing holding his arms is great. <laughs> yeah. Just throws them away. <laughs> <laughs> See you at the party, Richter. That's it. Yeah, that bit is great, but I'm kind of just waiting for the end of it by mm. this point, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Well, I mean, after everything we've seen, the ending has to be mental, doesn't it? And... <laughs> it doesn't disappoint on that level, I suppose, because you get the final <laughs> showdown. I'm still not sure what Ronnie Cox, what his big plan is. What what is he doing on Mars? I don't get what he wants. I think he's like, oh, he just he wants money, doesn't he, from this stuff? And that's yeah, it. And that's it. Just right. generic bad guy stuff from Cohagen talking about ancient yeah. Martians and Martian life. But he wants to get home for his cornflakes. Like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> I mean, what I do like is all those practical effects of the air being sucked out and everyone is like clinging on to the stuff, but they're yeah. getting like sucked out into the atmosphere. That works really well. And it starts to feel like a disaster movie now, which is a very weird direction to go in in the last 10 minutes. But, you know, it's a total recall what you're going to do. But yeah. I like how it ties back to the earlier shot of the volcano. So it's been established that's going to have something to do with the end when Quaid first sees it. But when Quaid gets sucked out, out of the atmosphere, why does Verhoeven hold those bulging eye shots for so long? <laughs> he keeps going back to them. And you're like, Paul, they're not getting better. It's not looking better the more you go back to them. It's absolutely... And you make it more unbelievable that he's going to recover from yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stop showing us the worst effect in the film. And then that's what the whole thing ends up being about, you know, literally life on Mars. And then Arnie gets to kiss someone he's had precisely zero chemistry with throughout the entire film. <laughs> I mean, I can't say I didn't enjoy, but it's not troubling anyone's list of greatest movie endings, is it? <laughs> well, the ending with Cohagen always hammers home to me just how underused Ronnie Cox has been to this point. He's basically playing Dick Jones, the same character as Robocop, yeah. mm. but he's not yeah. as effective here for me. Mm. Apparently, Ian Holm was considered as Cohagen oh, too. Wow. But I mean, I'm always glad to see Ronnie Cox. Yeah. Although, does Cohagen here, with today's filter, remind anyone else of Donald Trump? Just unhinged rants. Yeah. They hit a bit differently. Yeah. I think he's a bit more intelligent. <laughs> and I do have some questions. Arnold puts his hand under the alien reactor mole thing mm. to start it. And it fits, yeah. What's going on there? So just anyone's hand starts it, even if you're a different species. So what's the point? Yeah. Just have a big button yeah. saying on. <laughs> I'll do it for me. <laughs> and then it takes, what, 20 seconds to give Mars an entire atmosphere? <laughs> yeah. Really quick. 
Fishing <laughs> yeah. these aliens. And then you flash back to the original recall, and they're like, oh, this is a new one, Blue Skies on Mars. Yeah. That's what you get at the end. You're mm. like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> I do like how the film fades to white rather than black at mm. the end. Yeah. Verhoeven said that was to add ambiguity and link back to earlier when Edgemar told Arnold to be lobotomized. Right. You don't often see a film fade to white, so I do like that. Mm. But, yeah, it's just falling a bit off a cliff. By the end, it often signifies death if you fade away yeah. at the end of the film, like Sixth Sense fades away. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And those scenes where we see the mutants on Mars running out of air, that was originally shot with them all violently gasping for oxygen, but just for Carno thought it was laughably bad, so suggested it was a bit more reserved and dignified instead. Well, I mean, it's been very reserved and dignified until now, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I mean, imagine what he had to control yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to him this is reserved yeah. and dignified like okay <laughs> I think if a car did something similar in the scene when he shot Das Boot so we had some experience oh, during that yeah. the design of the alien reactor was based on a nuclear reactor where they have these small poles mm. that go into liquid apparently but Verhoeven said that he asked the production designer William Sandell to make it like a nuclear reactor but with poles as big as skyscrapers. So they're kind of like coming into the atmosphere mm. almost <laughs> and changing the atmosphere. As he does, let's make it massive. <laughs> so they look through a book with pictures of turn-of-the-century skyscrapers and how, how we're supposed to do mm. this. And they'd run out of ideas and they didn't know what they were doing. And they were just like, we just can't figure this out. And they threw the book off the table and it spun around and Verhoeven looked at it on the floor and all the skyscrapers had turned upside down. Right. And he's like, that's it. That's it. That's great. That looks great. Let's just turn them upside down, which is exactly what they did. Yeah. Lots of books and scripts being thrown on the floor in this film. <laughs> 40 times and then go back to the first one. <laughs> yeah, and Ronald Shusset said that back when, when Dino De Laurentiis had the rights to the film, they'd fallen out because De Laurentiis didn't like the ending. Richard Rush, he was direct with the time and told De Laurentiis that he was full of shit. <laughs> I'd have loved to see that. Fuck you, man. <laughs> so De Laurentiis went back to Shusset and said, Ron, you're so stubborn, you save me. I kiss you on the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and Shusset's co-writer, Dan O'Bannon, he didn't like the ending either, as he thought the alien reactor had no thematic connection to memory implants, <laughs> no, which it, it definitely does not. <laughs> and O'Bannon had his own idea for the end. Right. You want to hear it? Please. Absolutely. It's still pretty crazy. Okay. Of course it is. So in O'Bannon's version, at the end, when Arnold turned on the reactor, there wasn't a three-fingered alien handprint. It was Arnold's handprint. Right. So, huge. Yeah. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Already. <laughs> so He's the only one that can do it. Yeah, okay. I'm into this. All right. So the idea was Arnold had been there before in his secret agent days. The reactor had killed him and created the clone. The Arnold in the film is that clone, and he's basically invincible and can't be killed. So, stand that Arnold. <laughs> And at the end, Arnold puts his hand on the reactor, and that's when it all comes back to him. Total recall. Right. Right. So it does tap into the memories and that sort of thing, which Mm. I think works probably better. And the final line was Arnold saying, it's going to be fun to play God. And then the sequel, Arnold Almighty. (laughs) (laughs) It would have been good if he kind of sacrificed himself for the greater good. It's like, that's when you get your life flashes before mm. your eyes. But getting total recall means that he's going to die. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not going to happen, no. is it? <laughs> Arnold's not dying at the end of any film. No, no. it's <laughs> fuck. And we're at the end of the film. The end of Benny, Richter and Cohagen, but a new day dawning on Mars and a happy ever after ending for Arnold and Melina. Mm. Absolutely. Or is it? Reception and awards. 
Total Recall was originally supposed to be made for a budget of $30 million. After overruns and increasing visual effects costs, though, it ended up, depending on what you read, anywhere between $48 million and $80 million. Mm. Most sources leave the final figure around $65 million, meaning, as we said, Total Recall was the second most expensive movie ever made at the time. Yeah. It took $261.4 million at the box office, so one of the biggest hits of the year. Yep. Any idea what number one at the box office was that year, 1990? Now oh, you're good at this, Matt. I'm not. Not the box office. Um, what won the Oscar? Driving Miss Daisy. Can't imagine that was the big box office hit. Ah, well, the one of them to direct the fucker. The big box office hit was Ghost. Ah, oh, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. There were some issues with the MPAA asking for a different cut that we talked about, and there were also problems with the trailer. Have you heard about that? No. Yeah. Have you not seen the first trailer? It's absolutely. It's just really weird. It's got the it shot is. of Schwarzenegger's no. revolving face in a pyramid and then doesn't really say anything at all about what the film is. Fucking sounds great <laughs> to me. <laughs> well, apparently Schwarzenegger's furious so he had Coralco commission a new one just to show off all the action beats instead. Right, fair yeah. one. Yeah. Arnold also said that three weeks before the film came out, research showed it only had 43% public awareness. Right. Absolutely disastrous, as he put it. Mm. Again, he put his foot down, more money was pumped in, and by the time it opened, it was 99% public awareness. Wow. So, Arnold, the king of marketing, as well as everything else. Smart cookie. Jesus Christ, 99%? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's some foot he's putting down, isn't it? (laughs) And at the premiere, there's an interview with Arnold on the red carpet where he says the film is a cross between Star Wars, Raiders, and Batman. (laughs) 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 Didn't know what it was about then. Doesn't know what it's about now. (laughs) As for the critics, the artful Roger, Roger Ebert, (laughs) Yeah, what do they think of TR? Do we think uh, three? Yeah, three. I reckon he liked it. Three and a half stars oh, out of wow. four for Roger. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And he said one of the most visually interesting and complex science fiction films in a long time. Arnold's performance is one of the reasons the movie works so well. He isn't a Superman this time, although he fights like one. He opens the way for Total Recall to be more than simply an action, violent, and special effects extravaganza. I mean, does he? Yeah, I'd say simply an action, violence, and special effects extravaganza is the perfect description of Total (laughs) Recall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gene Siskel said, I enjoyed the first hour with fabulous special effects. After that, they get to the Red Planet, and I thought the third act broke down. Mm, Yeah. Can't say I disagree with Gene there too much. I was going to say John Siskel. And in a retrospective review, Empire Magazine gave the film four stars out of five and said, Plenty of tough guy action speak makes this a still thoroughly enjoyable set piece, though the effects have lost their shock value since CGI, mm. but worryingly satisfying in a purely gruesome beat em up kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. It is worryingly satisfying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On Rotten Tomatoes, Total Recall has a critics' approval rating of 82% and audience approval of 79%. Mm. Mm-hmm. Bit of a surprise the critics rated higher than audiences. Yeah, very much. On IMDb, 7.5 out of 10. So, very respectable all round, really. Yeah. At the Oscars, Total Recall was nominated for two, which were Best Sound and Best Sound Effects Editing, and won a Special Achievement Award for Visual Effects, as we mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, decent returns all round for Total Recall. A box office hit, some award recognition, a good reputation today still. Yeah. No Oscar for Arnold, but aside from that, it's done okay for itself. There's still time, John. There's still time. <laughs> no, there's not. <laughs> Lifetime Achievement Award for Arnold. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Don't rule it out. Sequels and Influence. 
There have been no direct sequels to Total Recall, though with it being such a big hit, there were talks of it. Mm. And not just Arnold Almighty. Yeah, Schwarzenegger, Verhoeven and Gary Goldman discussed adapting uh, Philip K. Dick's short story for a sequel called Total Recall 2, The Minority Report. In this one, this would have focused on mutants on Mars with psychic abilities, which does get hinted at in this film, but it ended up stuck in development hell for years until Spielberg and Tom Cruise picked it up. Decided not to involve Arnold, no. for some reason. <laughs> Can't think why. So, no sequel, but in 2012, there was a Total Recall remake. Mm. Directed by Len Wiseman, it tells kind of the same story, but replaces Mars with a dystopian, overcrowded Earth. Starring Colin Farrell as Quaid, Kate Beckinsale as Laurie, Jessica Biel as Melina, and Brian Cranston as Cohagen, it wasn't as well received as the first film. 31% from critics and 47% from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm pretty sure you fellas haven't seen this one, is that right? No, definitely not. No, no. Were you put off by the reviews? Kind of, and then I thought, I don't really want to see anything touching on this. It's the same as the Point Break remake. I'm not mm-hmm. bothered. Yeah, It's the same as an, an, anything else. It's like something I really adore, and they're trying to, to rehash it. I'm I'm not really interested, and I don't really want to see it. Because I don't really think it can improve on what, what I already enjoy. Yeah, I mean, Len Wiseman, the guy behind the Underworld films and a rubbish Die Hard sequel, just didn't really sell it for me. Yeah, same. Well, I have seen it, obviously. Of course you <laughs> <have>. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> if it's set in the future, I'm in. Yeah. I don't mind it too much, actually. Okay. Some of the effects work's good, and I think Kate Beckinsale as Laurie is really good. Like Sharon Stone, she's not in it enough for me. But Len Wiseman, you're right, Matt. The Underworld series yeah. and Live Free or Die Hard were his credits before this. So yeah. there's your problem. Yeah. Because... Unlike Verhoeven in 1990, Wiseman has no vision for this one, or not a strong one, anyway. It feels like he looked at the world of Blade Runner for the visuals and went, yep, that'll do nicely. Mm -hmm. The action scenes in Minority Report, that'll do nicely. Mm -hmm. And then he's taken exact beats from Total Recall. It feels like bog-standard, Philip K. Dick-inspired dystopian future to me. It is fun for the first hour, and then when Cranston comes in and takes over from Beckinsale as the main bad guy, it drops off a cliff for me. Right. So, 9 out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly what i thought it would be like (laughs) and back to the original total recall what is its legacy do we think where have we seen its influence since 1990 i think it's been in a lot of films in the sense of schwarzenegger's career since Mm. i think he, he kind of plays on it a lot i mean true lies is the same he's playing a secret agent but nobody knows he was six day that's got a lot of yeah. the sci-fi elements in there and i think he he kind of really appreciates his film for what it was and and what it brought uh, to the realm of the cinema at, at, at that point i think for action cinema it's great because you can kind of delve into that sci-fi element without people think oh well i've got to be into sci-fi for this i'm in action for this and a lot of people took a lot from it as again same with robocop i think verhoven has been one of them people who has paved the way for people to say that if you want to say something, it doesn't really have to make sense. It's just got to be entertaining. And I think there's been a lot of entertaining films, especially in the early 90s, going all the way through. I mean, Time Cop, you know, you've got all of these <laughs> great like nods to this whole kind of thing that doesn't really make sense, but it's just an action-led, great, gritty kind of film with a look to it. And Verhoeven was the first person to say, you know what, we don't really need a narrative, we don't really need a story, we don't really give a fuck what's going on let's just make a film and everyone kind of did for a while and it went it went off after that but i think 
Total Recall was one of them films where they just went, yeah, you know what, fuck it, let's make a really expensive film that re- makes no sense, but let's have a lot of fun. <laughs> and loads of people did that since. Yeah, it did cement Arnold's reputation as one of the biggest movie stars in the world at the time. It yeah. allowed Verhoeven to go on and complete his Triple Dutch trilogy a few years later with Starship Troopers. But I think it's mostly in the visual effects area where it maybe had the biggest impact. Oh, definitely, yeah. One of the first films to blend practical and CGI effects successfully. And while the CGI didn't always work properly and they had to adapt to it, it was an early forerunner of that technology that would then be taken to huge new heights a year later with Terminator 2. And arguably, Arnold's greatest one-liner film. That alone (laughs) makes it special. There you go. Yeah, I think apart from what you guys have said, I think the legacy is just making Philip K. Dick's writing a bit more popular and, and showing that it doesn't have to be as cerebral as it yeah. was in Blade Runner, which is why, you know, 10, 12 years later, whatever it was, we get Minority Report, which is kind of the action of this, but the thought behind Blade Runner, I think it melds those two together. Aside of that, I think it, it's just got this influence on popular culture, I think. You know, some of the lines, consider that a divorce, get your ass to Mars, see the party, Victor. <laughs> They've all sank into that kind of meme culture. You know, if you say that line... Oh, yeah, Total Recall. I think yeah. that's how its legacy lasts. No sequel for Total Recall then, though there could have been, and we did get a remake that's not so great, but the original, as both a Paul Verhoeven and Arnold classic, it has its place still? It does, I think yes. it does, yeah. yeah. Definitely. All the right movies ranking. And that's Total Recall. The end of the film, and now to find out if it was a reality, a dream, or if we've been lobotomised. Mm. Matt, would you like to start us off? Summary and score for Total Recall? Yep, I enjoyed it a lot, but I do think it's very of its time. I've seen some of our patrons and people on Twitter saying, is it really a classic? Do you, should you be covering this? And I kind of agree with them. I don't think it's a classic of the genre. For me, cast someone other than Arnie, build on some of the concepts that are in the script instead of just giving them lip service in the film would have more dramatic weight to it. Queer story would have more weird with the story on Mars would, and I think that's what I'm missing from this film. So definitely enjoyable, and it zips along at a good old pace, but it's very, very silly, and that undercuts it a lot. <laughs> but there's enough about it that works that justifies watching it again, which I would do. So I'm going to give it a seven. But would it have been as popular if it wasn't as silly? That's well, that's the, the thing. No, I totally acknowledge yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah, big film, Total Recall. A lot of people love it and have for a lot of years, and understandably so. There's a lot of good things. Brilliant story concept from Philip K. Dick. Sharon Stone is brilliant. Rob Bottin and Eric Brevig on the special effects are brilliant. Arnold is Arnold. And it's still loads of fun. As I mentioned earlier, with some of the themes that could have been explored around memory and identity, there are some big missed opportunities here to make a genuinely great film, I think. But it doesn't try and do that. And I would still say it was really good if it kept up the narrative pace and tautness till the end, but it doesn't. No. Once Laurie's gone, and then once the third act becomes about aliens and not memory, it stumbles over the finishing line mm. for me. But some glorious Verhoeven violence, Mary with three boobs, some incredible Arnold one-liners, and some intentional and unintentional hilarity makes it an 8 out of 10 for me. All right. And Wesley, your summary and score for Total Recall? 
I'm the same. It's hard to say to somebody, like, let's watch Total Recall, and if they hadn't seen it before, and you sit next to them and watch it all the way through now, I try to do that. It's fucking impossible. Because they'll turn around at any point and go, why the fuck do you like this film? And you keep watching it, keep watching it, and then you get the end of the, why the fuck do you like this film? You, know, you have to see it 50 times at least. And you have to grow up with it, and I think you have to see it at a certain time, in a certain place. And I think we're very fortunate to be the age we are and to have seen it at the time that we did. And I think it made a real impact on us to see as Robocop did or Predator did or Terminator did or any of them early kind of 80s or late 80s early 90s action films that really made an impact and it still does now like you've got to just hammer that home and it makes you feel really old to go Total Recall made a fucking <laughs> difference man you wouldn't have Marvel for this you wouldn't have this you wouldn't have like, any visual effects if it wasn't for this and it's hard to push that home with this film now because it has aged in a way that it's hard to defend but it's still great at its core it still has things that it wants to say it's still really entertaining as a film it zips along it's loads of fun it's really funny it's really entertaining it's really violent but at the same time it's really fucking stupid <laughs> and it really is no more than an 8 on 10 <laughs> now we're going over to the mutants on the app formerly known as twitter for their thoughts <laughs> all right give those fuckers air <laughs> <laughs> so some of the comments from x on total recall dr feelings x3 at chudano underscore me said it is a perfect 90s film cheesy and campy arnold schwarzenegger at his best Total Recall is one of those movies I've seen a dozen times and it never gets old. This is a must-watch film. If you haven't seen it, you don't know what you're missing. Well, that's a... Um, well, <laughs> I mean, if you've not seen Total Recall, you definitely don't know what you're missing. How could you? <laughs> How could you? <laughs> Paul Napper at PR Napper said, It has everything. Arnie, over-the-top violence, sex robot taxi drivers, three-breasted women, double-crossing, and it's all set on another planet. Or is it? It's proto-Nolan with an 18 certificate. Right. That's not everything. No. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say that? Total Recall, a big influence on Christopher Nolan? No. <laughs> not a big one. I mean, maybe a... Oh, yeah. yeah. Is that in me subliminal mm. kind of... Oh, shit. Oh, bollocks. <laughs> I referenced that in Inception. I, I didn't mean to. Maybe. <laughs> And one of our patrons, Two Count Kyle, said, As much as I love Arnold and Verhoeven, I do often wonder how the film would have fared in different hands. But there's plenty of fun to be had, especially with the cast and the effects. Worth it just for give these people air. (laughs) Worth it for one line. Jesus Christ. What other film can you think that that works for? I have no idea. And altogether, our patrons and followers rated Total Recall as, what do you think? 8.5. 8. It was 8 out of 10. Yeah. So that gives Total Recall 31 out of 40 Mm. in total. Yep. Seems about fair, I think. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, more than fair, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. We've achieved Total Recall. We hope Mm. you enjoy the ride and don't want to erase our asses. Next time out, it's a spooky one. Mm. One, two, Westie's coming for you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) With Matt and Luke as they get into a nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, yes. Yeah. Some big scares there, right? Yeah. Don't fall asleep. No. Yeah. To find out more about becoming a patron, supporting what we do, and accessing our archive and bonus double feature episodes, please visit patreon.com forward slash all the right movies or click the subscribe link on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. You can subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all of your other podcast platforms, only if it's five stars, though. Yes, please. Only four stars does more harm than good. 
Mm-hmm. Of course it does. Socially, you can keep up with all the right movies on Twitter. Now X, where we are at AT Right Movies. We post threads on there that tell the stories behind classic films. Everything we post has been said by somebody involved in the production or comes from three separate sources. Same as on our yeah. podcast. So mm-hmm. check us out there. You can find us on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash all the right movies. On Instagram and threads, we are at all the underscore right movies. You can join our movie group on Facebook to get involved with lots of movie discussions. And our website, full of great features, is all the right movies.com. Mm-hmm. We're all off to recall now to take a vacation from ourselves. <laughs> if only. <laughs> Definitely yeah. needed. Take a vacation from what we've just talked about. Yeah. Got me heads fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Please do come back next time, though, for A Nightmare on Elm Street. That's in two weeks. You've got what you want. <laughs> Give these people air. <laughs>